you can now hear Movie Heaven Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is ready on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favourite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad and in over 4 million car dashboards. You can stream your favourite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the app store. And please leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers who enjoy discussing movies and related topics. And we are, this is our third and final Frontier episode, uh, celebrating 50 years of Star Trek in these podcast specials. Um, Specifically looking at the movies one through six featuring the crew from the original series. And we're really happy to be joined by two uh, recurring guests of ours. Uh, Beaming in specially for this, we have in the forms of Clive Ashenden and Rob Wickens. So welcome to the show, guys. Hello. In the future. Indeed. Uh, 50 years. I mean, that's that's huge. That's obviously longer than any of us have been around. Um, So if any, you know, for any of our listeners that haven't, listen to any of the previous shows that you guys uh, have been on uh maybe you could sort of kick things off by telling us a little bit about yourselves and uh sort of what star trek means to you really rob do you want to go first okay i'll start off um well interestingly star wars star trek that's, that's a good start isn't it um star trek is 50 this year and uh, so am i so uh oh really thank you very much yeah made i thought it this- you were younger Sorry. <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> um, so really, Star Trek and I uh, and I have been around together since since the very beginning. I don't actually ever remember a time when Star Trek wasn't part of my life. I, you know, obviously, um, when when I when I first started watching TV, it was kind of around in 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 the uh, uh, what do you say the. Um, sort of rerun versions and then from from there it's always been around so yeah for me actually it was it was it was star trek first before even star wars or anything like that it's always been a been a big influence on my science fiction life uh, what about you clive um i guess well uh, i i i haven't been around for 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 50 years but uh <laughs> but for me it it is it was one of those things where growing up uh like Doctor Who, Star Trek was kind of was sort of always around, um, but way it, better. Uh, well, let's not get into that, shall we? That's, that's another podcast. Um, but uh, no, I mean, obviously, uh, that time there wasn't any new track being made. So, I, I guess I came. I, I sort of. You know, I, I found it through repeats on, uh, I think, BBC Two um, and sort of 
and 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 just sort of you know got into it as just like a fun uh, you know old series that was full of sort of science fiction which was something that I was getting really into at the time and uh, just kind of you know sort of fell in love for it with it through there but I, I mean I, I guess I, I I was like a Star Wars fanatic um, and I guess my love for Trek I think has grown really over the years because I think uh, much as I still love Star uh, Star Wars, that it almost appeals to you at a younger age, I think, because it has this fairy tale element to it. Um, whereas uh, with Star Trek, there's a lot more hard sci-fi in there, in amongst all the you know space opera and fun stuff. There are actually proper sci-fi ideas being played with, as opposed to this is just a you know so, uh, you know Western in space. There, there's there's a lot more going on. Um, and so, you know, as, as I grew up, then I, I got, you know, more into the science fiction-y stuff in it. And then, you know, going through, uh, and then I, I, I started going to the movies. I think the first one I saw at the cinema was probably, uh, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Um, and, uh, I've seen all of them at the cinema since. And obviously I've, you know, uh, well, by the time I'd seen, uh, gone to the cinema to see uh you know number four i'd already seen the, you know the previous three uh and was well familiar with that original crew and then i i guess the the sort of the latter uh, and and i think the movies are probably where my sort of big love for star trek comes from because that was what i was really most familiar with uh although i i do like uh, a lot of the kind of stuff that came after that um Really, that original crew is the, is the one that has my, my, I guess, you know, gets me most sort of, you know, um, nostalgic uh, and sort of happy when I when I when I put the uh, uh, put put a show on or put a movie on. So, you know, much much as I love the next gen and 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 all the various other iterations. Well, I have to say, um, going back and watching all six films uh, for this, um, I have, I have to say the. They're just really good films, and compared to everything that came after it, they they work so well. Even the uh, odd numbered ones, which people consider to be the lesser ones, are still a lot of fun, and they have some really interesting ideas in there. Even, I have to say, I haven't watched. I I kind of been down on five, but watching it again, you know, in order, it was still an enjoyable film. Were you just watching Nichelle Nichols' uh, fan dance, like on loop? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I want to see Zoe Saldana do it. <laughs> I want to see Zachary Quinto do it. <laughs> uh, um, from what I've read on IMDb, it seems that the, the writer suggested it as a joke, and they said, oh, yeah, that's great. That's, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm sure we'll talk more about that when we get to it. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, well, I mean, you know, it's 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 unbelievable to to think, uh, you know, it's been 50 years because because, like you said, we we all sort of grew up after uh, the launch of Star Trek, and uh, you know, as you rightly said, Clive, and and you too, Rob, it's it's been there, you know, for our entire life. Um, you know, growing up. And, and I actually still remember when there was a big deal over the 25th anniversary. I remember I got a, uh, a mug and a t-shirt and it, cause it was right around the time that, uh, 
obviously uh, Undiscovered Country w was coming out. And, uh, you, you know, sadly, it was also the year that Gene Roddenberry died. But, um, mm. yeah. uh, you know, it's great to think that it's, you know, it's lived on after him for, for you know, another another 25 years. That's amazing. Um, so, yeah. You know, that, that's great. Um, I just want to say one quick thing about errors and omissions, by the way. Um, I did listen to the first episode that we did on Star Trek, the one we, we did with Charles, uh, just to make sure I don't sort of repeat myself on anything. And I realized that I made a, you know, any, any Trek geeks out there are going to so pull me up on my error. Um, I was talking about the um, USS Franklin and obviously... You, you know, the events following Enterprise and leading to the formation of the National, uh, sorry, the United Federation of Planets and whatever. And I said it happened in the 2260s, whereas, of course, I meant the 2160s, because, of course, the 2260s was when this reboot Star Trek is taking place. So uh, uh, apologies for errors and admissions. It's things that happen with train of thought and memory, I'm afraid. There you go. <laughs> well, when you get into alternate timelines, Keith, you know, it, it, it all gets screwed up, doesn't it? It does, indeed. Indeed. That's my excuse, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the first uh, Star Trek film you saw at the cinema? Uh, for me, that would have been the first one. It would have been um, uh, the motion picture. Um, I was... I would have been 13 at the time. Um, I think my mum and dad took me to see it. I, I remember agitating quite hard to go and see it as well. And they were, they were a little bit kind of, mm, yeah, yeah, all right. And it just blew me away. It's, it, it's a film that really does benefit from being seen on the big screen. You know, it's very much a, a kind of, it's a spectacle. It is, it is a huge epic spectacle. You know, it, it's, it's the 2001 of the Star Trek um, opus, if you like. To a certain extent, I, I don't know if that kind of was the first trigger for, for the sort of liking that I have as well for, for a sort of slow paced science fiction as well. You know, growing up in the 70s and, 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 and watching films that were made then, they did have the science fiction films at the time did have a slightly slower and more elegant pace. And that's very much reflected in, in um, Star Trek, the motion picture. And, and I really dug it. I can kind of see why, why people wanted a bit more action there but i like it as it is as a spectacle as as this beautiful looking artifact likewise i went to see star trek the motion picture but i was um very young i think um i must have been about two or three at the the time and uh, my parents did tell me that uh, they had to take me out of it because i started crying <laughs> And yeah. it's taken quite a few years for me to uh, appreciate this film. Got to watch it uh, on a big, you know, big screen TV, and um, I think it you you need that size to to really appreciate it. But I still feel that it could have been sped up a little bit. I don't I, as as much as the tour around the Enterprise is nice. It still could have been a little quicker because mm. it, it it seemed to be a little bit, you know, it just didn't need all that time. It doesn't need to be seven minutes long, is what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that 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 is quite interesting because that uh, which I actually think is a a beautiful effect scene with a beautiful piece of score backing it up, but um, that bit in the motion picture is actually a five-minute sequence without any dialogue whatsoever, just music <laughs> while they go around the Enterprise. Interestingly, 
in JJ's reboot in 2009, they have a similar bit, again, with a very sweeping score by Michael Giacchino, where um, they're in the shuttle. Obviously, Kirk's suffering and says he's going to puke on McCoy or whatever. And then McCoy says, Jim, Jim, you've you got to look at this. And, and, and they look out the window and, you know, it's wow. They look at the Enterprise. But that entire sequence in the reboot takes less than a minute. It says exactly the same thing, but it just shows you the difference of pace between films, you, you know, uh, 30 years ago and and uh, and and, and th- then, you know, <laughs> the the film that gets it right is Rafa Khan, because Rafa Khan takes the same footage because it's, <laughs> it's the same footage mm. and they shorten it and it just feels the right amount of time. And they, of course, they play a different score. So it's not Jerry Goldsmith over it. It's um, James Horner. Which is, again, a fabulous score. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's actually the piece of music I use at the beginning of the podcast. (laughs) Yes, I had noticed that. Nice nice choice of music, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it it, it does feel in some places quite, you know, you know, the, the scenes of the people of the crew looking out the view screen, you know, at the at the at Vija. Vija's ship, you know, you do feel you could have, you know, you could have cut a bit of it out and it still would have been great. I still would have got the same impact. Mm. I think there's an element there of, um, of having that huge budget and wanting to display it to its, to its best advantage as well. Obviously Star Trek had this reputation of being, uh, quite a, a relatively low budget show, even though it wasn't, it, it looked cheap um through through the eyes of a 19 late late 70s audience so to suddenly have something where they could sort of show really well made models and really sort of nicely done special effects i i, th- I think they just you know they, they they threw threw a fat wallet at the whole film and you do get to see all of that you get to see all the big sets and you get to see the great production design and everything and there's an element of it just being like look at what we've done here yeah okay yeah, yeah, yeah they could have they, they could have cut it down a bit but i think that that's that's part of the case there yeah i mean the the other thing about the film was that um uh after seeing star wars gene Roddenberry didn't want any space battles mm. so hence why we got no space battles what do you think clive of the motion picture because i know you had some uh you'd said to me in passing that you had some thoughts on on that I, I I do. I, I have thoughts about the uh, about the motion picture. Um, uh, I, I have a crazy fan theory about about it. But uh, before I come to that, I guess I think the thing about the motion picture to bear in mind is that it seems very clear watching it that they really want this to be like uh, following in the footsteps of two thousand and one, a space odyssey. Mm, definitely yeah you know in terms you know you can see that in the pacing the serious science fiction concepts you can see it as as they're going through the cloud that surrounds vija where you get a kind of uh, not quite a sort of uh, slit scan you know sort of stargate effect but it is supposed to be like a light show you're you're this wow effect right um and and it's supposed to be dealing with this kind of, you know, deep subject matter at what it, you know, what it means to be conscious, to be, uh, you know, to, you know, what, what it, what it means to be human. And it's sort of, you know, uh, so they're, they're reaching for that. And, they, and there's, and I think there's a certain amount of kind of 
this is coming you know this is coming from a tv series as uh, as rob said a tv series that had that yeah perhaps unfairly that that reputation is is you know looking a little bit sort of cheap and chintzy and 60s um and so they wanted they wanted to show off the fact they had a budget you know so look at the fantastic spaceships look at look at how beautiful everything looks when people get beamed up you know uh, so you had all of that but unfortunately what that meant was that you know that this is coming on the heels of star wars and 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 after after that and you know several other sort of sci-fi films we've had in the 70s i mean even things like planet of the apes right um mm. you know that they 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 move a lot quicker and that they have a lot more sort of fun pulpy elements which are a bit more grabby i guess um so my initial reaction to the film was this is slow and I don't like it. Uh, I, I, I liked the, you know, I actually quite like the reveal, but it was never one of my favorite ones. Now coming back to it, I, I, got, I get a lot more out of it now. I, I, you know, I mean, I've always enjoyed the Jerry uh, Goldsmith score, but um, for me, uh, it's funny when I rewatched it, uh, this is when I came up with, with my crazy theory, which for me helps me to, to enjoy the film. It's a bit of headcanon if you want. Um, mm. So, okay, here's my Please idea. Tell right? us. Yeah, we, we love fan theories on this show. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, obviously, hey, spoilers for, for Star Trek 1 to 6. We have to say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but okay, we've said it now. Um, so, obviously, you know, the big reveal is that Vija is, in fact, Voyager, and it's this whole thing about, about this... Uh, you know this old Earth space probe that has, you know, been upgraded and has achieved consciousness and then been launched back to its towards its home planet by this machine culture, right? So, my fan theory is that the Enterprise that we see in this, uh, the Enterprise that that went on the original five year mission with Kirk and crew, during that five year mission, the Enterprise, the computer, achieved consciousness. Okay. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so, it, so it became artificially intelligent. Now, and 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 the new shiny enterprise, rather than uh, uh, obviously, you know, I, <laughs> this is how I built the story in my head. Okay. So, <laughs> so go with me. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it in all, it, you know, uh, rather than sort of just tear everything out, put a complete new computer in. What they've done to uh, to sort of. Uh, keep all the stuff that's been learned by the computer throughout these throughout all its missions and, and so on is just basically build on top of it is to add into it so it's essentially uh, so so that sort of consciousness has just been sort of growing and it's now been given all this extra stuff so even though there's a, there's a shiny it's a shiny new enterprise the actual enterprise living enterprise computer is still there okay and so and and for me this helps sort of make sense of certain things because basically uh, for me this uh, the film then becomes about the enterprise getting getting its favorite crew back together okay <laughs> yeah okay uh, yes yes yeah okay so, which is why you get things like transporter uh, accidents you know, inadvertent commas happening when they try and beam up replacements that it doesn't like. It wants, it wants its, uh, it, it wants Kirk and Spock and McCoy and all these people. Okay, right. Um, uh, so, and also uh, uh, as part of this theory, I think 
and uh, you know, <laughs> uh, that uh, that I, I think Spock, as chief science officer, he realised what had happened, but but he kept it to himself. Okay, so he knows. Now, as part of the story of the motion picture, there's this whole bit about Spock's on Vulcan and he and, and he's meditating and he feels like a disturbance in the force uh, mm-hmm. when when uh, you know when the, the Vija uh, cloud probe thing comes in. Now that that felt that that feels a bit thin, right? You know what? Why? Because no no one else on Vulcan mentions it. It's just him who gets it. So for me, it makes more sense. If if uh, Spock essentially has has a link with the Enterprise, having been on there, recognised its consciousness, maybe mind melded with it, okay, and 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 he and he basically while he's meditating receives a signal from the Enterprise that he needs to go back to the Enterprise, and you know he tells people it's because of this uh, this thing, but he's he's drawn back to the Enterprise. So, so the, the whole, the whole for the enterprise for the uh, for the enterprise computer, it's all about getting getting its favourite crew back together again, and 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 the Vija mission is just an excuse for this to happen. Wow, wow! Well, it doesn't it doesn't work out well for him then in the third one. Well, that, but, 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 no, but see, for me, that that, that gives the third one a, a needed weight. Right, because uh, because it becomes tragic that the enterprise gets destroyed because it's a living thing that's dying. Wow, that is some head right, cannon. Okay, I, I, I thought I thought I thought about this stuff too much, but bloody hell, I'm, I'm clearly oh, clear. no, that, that's, I've, that's interesting. You know, okay. it, it, you, could, you know, that's just a bit of fun. Okay, but that, yeah, that yeah was, no, absolutely. That, that was my. Uh, and and to be honest, it's because Star Trek: The Motion Picture makes me a bit sleepy, and, <laughs> I, and, and I, I need that to get me through the the, the baggy bit in the middle. Yeah. Um, you know, because there is a lot to enjoy, but there's a lot of there is. It feels like there's a lot to enjoy, it, but just because of the pacing. So there we go. No, I like it. I mean, well. I mean, the thing with the motion picture, it is always it is one of those that has always kind of stood on its own. Because of the, you know, the the differences, whether they they're just in the uniforms and and the props or or, or you know everything else with it, um, but it, of course it's always been important because it's as you've rightly said it was the film that got the crew back together on the newly refitted Enterprise and uh, you know you wouldn't have had any of the sequels without it. But uh, that that yeah, it's an interesting theory. I like it. <laughs> I have to say about the. That apart from six, the Enterprise is always in need of some sort of refit or going through some technical problems. It's true because, like in the first one, they're that they've got a new crew. It's been refurbished, refitted. The second one, they're going on a um, like a, a cruise with the students on board, and then of course the third one, they they steal the ship after after the events of uh, Rafa Khan, and then of course in the end because the fourth one we only see the enterprise at the end but the fifth one again scotty's you know trying to work out the bugs in it because it's it's still kind of malfunctioning and then by the sixth one it's working <laughs> there doesn't seem to be any problems with the ship so they have this this continuous thing where in the films there's the the ship is in some sort of disarray or you know it's just it's not working 100% and I, I, have you guys seen the director's cut of Rafa Khan? Yeah, 
Yes. Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, no. well, there's a joke in there that Kirk says uh, to Scotty about how all the other captains kind of, you know, have a laugh at his expense because there's always problems with the Enterprise. does this explain why scotty's got the reputation he's got because he's the only one that's actually able to keep the damn thing running in the first place it seems to be but that as but with the films they the enterprise always seems to be in you know it's in disarray to start Mm. off with it doesn't get that way it's not like you start off with a perfect ship it's always sort of there's always some sort of problem going on before before the story Mm. even kicks in well, I mean, the stuff in, in which we'll come to, I'm sure, but mm. in Star Trek V with the malfunctioning stuff was just silly and annoying anyway. But uh, wow, yeah. <laughs> yes, that was that was a lot of in-jokes by uh, William Shatner. And we'll, yes. we'll, we'll go into those. There's, there's yes. some really stupid in-jokes in there that you don't even know they're there. <laughs> but um, I have to say, um, having read up about the motion picture, uh, about the director Robert Wise... Now, Robert Wise, great director, known for doing films like The Day the Earth Stood Still and West Side Story. You know, great director, has a great sci-fi background. Didn't want to do this film. And when you watch it, you kind of get that sense that he's not really into it and he doesn't really get it. And one of the ways you can see this is the fact that he doesn't quite know how the relationship with uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy works. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I. I agree. I agree. Not as well as the 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 other five films. I mean, there's there's points where McCoy's on the bridge and he's just literally got nothing to do, and then literally you see him walk walk back to the turbo lift, and it's like you don't even know how to use McCoy. You know, the the scene where you're flying over a big ship and you just expect McCoy going. You know, to say something. And, oh, the amount of times that Captain Kirk says Spock in the first film. Spock! 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 It's, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, there, there is a, you know, there's, there's a massive story about all this. But, um, you, you know, let, let's be honest. The motion picture was kind of Paramount's obviously obvious reaction to to the success of star wars and you know sort of jumping on that bandwagon because originally um it was designed to be a a a new television show uh of of star trek was was you know around that time going to go into production Mm, and uh, they used exactly phase two and and they they used obviously a lot of the design elements uh that they'd, they'd come up with for for that series uh to to make this film and um you know as as you rightly said rob it it really was a um you you know a spectacle of 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 visual effects and as a result did take away somewhat from the from the characters that the 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 series had established and and i think you, you know that is why when we get on to you know Trek Two and whatever, the reason it works so well is because, of course, you still got wonderful special visual effects, but you, you know they brought plot and character much more into the foreground, and um, you, you, you know it, it did in, in that respect in in terms of entertainment and a continuity of the the series, it, it seemed to work a lot better. Yeah, there's a theory as well that um, 
Gene, Gene Roddenberry was was obviously very heavily involved in in the motion picture, but after its kind of perceived failure, he was he was kind of sidelined, and um, Harv Bennett and people like that, and uh, Nicholas Meyer were brought in to kind of put the put put the franchise back on track. And it's kind of interesting that um, Gene Roddenberry is having control in it and and not having the ability to actually use the best elements of what made the show a success in the first place is 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 kind of interesting it's almost like he roddenberry wanted to do this this big statement thing as much as paramount did and what they ended up with was something that although it's a fantastic spectacle spectacle did kind of take away from the whole star trekky thing if you like yeah well of course the other the other thing um which you know sort of goes to simon's point about you know the characters feeling a, a tad disjointed in some scenes was um i'll never forget i was, was kind of like clive i i went and saw um on the big screen when star trek 4 came out uh they actually did like a sort of uh quadrilogy uh special showing at the cinema where you know you got to see all in, in fact it was the first time i'd seen like two and three for sure on the big screen um wow. where they did them all in a row and uh it was interesting because I had had these on on VHS and watched them. I mean, you know, these were back in the days when I'd watched things multiple times, these movies. And I was used to, I'd recorded them off of television. And of course, when Star Trek The Motion Picture was shown on, on network television, it, um, it was very vogue at the time. They did it with Superman the movie and they did it with Halloween. And they also did it with Star Trek, where they'd be extended editions to fill a better sort of evening time slot on television. So there were a lot of character moments and additional scenes that were in Star Trek, the motion picture as it appeared on television, which when I then saw it on the big screen in the theatrical version, it was suddenly quite jarring because some of these things were, were, were missing. And there, there were, there were, there was a lot more scenes between uh, McCoy and Kirk you know, much more of their sort of friendship. And, you know, McCoy was giving him a really hard time about, you know, his command decisions and trying to compete with Decker, et cetera, which was cut down to just a few lines in the theatrical version. Uh, and interestingly, especially as we sort of talked about Sulu's sexuality on on, on one of the other podcasts, there was um, there was a, a, an extended scene where Ilea comes on board and um, Sulu is asked to sort of show her her navigation station and he's like completely fumbling over himself because he's you know because of her beauty and the fact that he you know he thinks she's quite attractive and stuff and and you know that's missing from it so it was interesting to see that and by by utter contrast as well when I then saw Wrath of Khan on the big screen again I'd had the tv version and in the tv version they had cut the bit slightly where the seti eels go into the ears. They'd cut hmm. it right down. So again, I got to see stuff I hadn't seen before because because that had been toned down for television. But um, but it is interesting that there's lots of different versions of some of these um, some of these films out there. Well, it's always the case for uh, for TV. I mean, it's that weird thing, wasn't it, back in the seventies that there'd be these long longer cuts of films that they would shoot extra footage for the tv because they did that uh, they did that for superman 
Yeah, Superman, Halloween. There was there was quite a few films they did that with, yeah. and it was quite sort of vogue at the time to to do that. Um, Though they didn't do it with Star Wars, which is is interesting because there is a lot of footage that's been cut from from Star Wars, especially all the um, the the stuff with Biggs on Tatooine. Yeah, I guess that was because obviously, whereas Roddenberry with Star Trek, for example, had obviously sold it all to Paramount. Of course, you know, back in the in the day, then. Um, Lucas really, really did hold total control of that. And and like Rob was saying, you know, um, it's fair to say that Gene Roddenberry, bless him, he kind of got demoted to this sort of creative consultant position for the for the rest of the movies, which, um, mm. you, you know, it, it's interesting of, of, of how much he actually had involvement, you, you know, from that point forward. It's interesting, though, that um, there are certain things that are carried over from Star Trek the motion picture um, for one the sets were carried over from the motion picture into Rafikar. Uh also the uh, engineers sort of costume you know the sort of what looks like a, a that weird sort of high collar thing yeah the white thing it looks like a somebody wearing a very protective cricket pads like, on their like shoulders the Michelin man. yeah 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 that that's that's been carried over the spacesuits they've been carried over yeah with the weird handle on the back of the helmet that's, a, that's yeah. that... well, actually in the motion picture there was no handle the handle was put in for rafa khan so that khan could have something to grab um check off yeah now i mean i mean that, that that was the thing they 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 recycled i mean we were we were lucky enough on one of our podcasts last year to be joined by um tv producer kenneth johnson and um you, you know he he talked a lot about he was given his break by harv bennett who who um at the time was was producer of the six million dollar man and barnet woman tv shows and that was the really smart thing that that paramount kind of did with this franchise was you, you know by bringing harv bennett in and i think he does deserve quite a bit of credit for this he was the one that kind of said well let's let's you know let, let's pick an episode of of the tv series and actually make a sequel from that and he was the one that uh, you know along with hiring nicholas mayer to do this um you, you know came up with with some of these ideas about uh bringing the characters to the forefront and having more of an action plot and obviously with special effects and costumes and sets um trying to sort of save money and and, and use you know what what was already there much like you know they would run a television type production you know, through the seventies. So it was interesting. In fact, one one of the one of the things I did sort of read that was that I always thought was kind of interesting on the costume side of things because we've talked quite a lot about costumes acro across these podcasts is um, the sort of burgundy uh, uniforms that that you know carried through the rest of this series and even into sort of uh, bridges between you know next generation and things of that nature. Um, interestingly, the reason that purple color was 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 chosen um, was because the costume designer at the time, I think it was a chap called Robert Fletcher on that film, and he had to recycle a lot of the uniforms from Star Trek, the motion picture. And obviously in the motion picture, they choose they'd chosen to sort of move away from the 1960s sort of primary colors stuff to these sort of, you know, blue, gray and, and, and beige uh, type jumpsuits 
And what they found is that they, they needed to still use the jumpsuits for the cadets and for some of the, you know, less senior officers. And they tried to dye it different colors. And apparently both the beige and the blue-gray color um, came out burgundy. And that was kind of what dictated this this sort of burgundy look to the suits. So you know, it's interesting. I was I was going to say because you just <laughs> said that the costumes were purple, and I was like purple. Sorry, burgundy. Yeah, I meant burgundy. burgundy. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. But can I go back? To Errors and what, omissions. <laughs> yeah. Well, can I go back to what you were saying about um, having to cut costs on Rafa Khan? Because mm. motion picture didn't make as much money as they hoped it would. The, when they came to do the second one, the budget was sort of really low. So they had to had to recycle all that kind of stuff and make the most of what they had because they they didn't have the budget to create a lot of that stuff from new. So it's it's a it's an amazing job how you know you get this big epic kind of you know film with the motion picture. And then you get this down and dirty um, revenge thriller with Rafa Khan. Hmm. And yeah. but Rafa Khan I mean, that... is a lot better than than motion picture. Oh, sure. Sure. And, well, and of course, yeah. they, they, they'd already by that point had the Enterprise model from the first film, which is an amazing design. I still think that's, you know, the, the, the Enterprise refit is one of out of all of the enterprises they've had over the various uh movies and, and series i still think that's probably one of the best designs um of all of them so of course they had that but you're, you're right they 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 spent the, the the money that they had uh very wisely because it was it was more restricted and and absolutely they they focused entirely on story and character uh to, to create which was you know what was a much better film and, and also it was a nice move as well to kind of deal with the fact that the crew had got older and Kirk was, you know, approaching 50 and, and, and sort of moving the timeline on a little bit because the, 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 the idea, even though it was over a decade later, you know, from the TV series that we got the motion picture, the idea was that was taking place just a couple of years after the five year mission. Um, so, you know, it was quite good that he decided to sort of move that on and bring bring back an enemy from 15 years earlier it was mm. genius really <laughs> well yeah i mean the thing was they they used uh makeup to try and hide the fact that the crew was aging and it's it, it when you watch the hd version of it it's you the makeup kind of stands out a lot than say if you watched it on tv um what else was i gonna say um Oh, yeah. Um, I just wanted to sort of say about McCoy's appearance when he first gets beamed up. Um, it always makes me <laughs> laugh because he looks like he's just been dragged out of a 70s disco. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's an awful lot of that, that sort of collars and, v and, and, and really sort of deep V-necks in the uniforms anyway. But, yeah, definitely. It's, well, it's... the gold medallion didn't help. No. <laughs> no. Well, Jim, I've just been touring with the Bee Gees. So. <laughs> it helped with the ladies. So. <laughs> they don't call me Bones for no reason. Oh, you beat me to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we knew it was going to get raucous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what do you guys think of the idea of two, three, and four being uh, a trilogy? Because I, I, I can see why people think that, but then six is also tied into those films as well. Well, I, I always look at it that two, three, and four is indeed a trilogy. You know, it's, it's, it, 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 the story comes sort of full circle by the time you get to the end of four. And, you know, it's dealing with, it is dealing with age and, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one and all that stuff. But also, um, I always think of six as a wonderful companion piece to it. And, of course, a swan song for that crew. So, you know, for me... Uh, a great evening's watch would be to do two, three, and four, and six, you know, and forget five, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have five in there as well, because uh, as as we before we started, we were quoting lines from it. It it's, it is weird. Out of the films, it's kind of the most quotable because mm. it's the most silliest. <laughs> yeah that's for sure yeah the thing about five is that it is very much its own thing but it you know it absolutely commits to being the shatner trek and it's <laughs> yeah. it's if, uh-huh. if you had to describe what a shatner directed star trek film would look like you you would end up describing the final frontier it is absolutely perfect as it is it is it's very much its own little thing <laughs> you know it's it, it there, there's no element of it being the red-headed stepchild of, of the franchise there but <laughs> yeah, at the same time <laughs> it is just it, it it works under its own terms i think yeah it's got some great bits in it. I mean, it, it oh. definitely has some 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 great elements to it as well. It's just that overall, when you compare it to the others, it it, it does feel a little inferior, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what well, about I mean, you, got... Clive? You're very yeah. quiet. What do you think about that? Well, it's shit, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now, come on, Clive. Tell us what you think. Don't get me wrong. I, I, there, there, there is a lot to love in there, but it's, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's still really, really poor. Come on, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't care how much you can quote it or, or that there's fun bits in it. It's, it's just, it's just bad. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, especially, especially if you start comparing it to, I don't know, things like ooh, the Wrath of Khan, which is a great film. Uh, Star, Star Trek V: The Front of Frontier, not a great film. Hmm. Um, I, I know I'm not exactly uh, putting the cat amongst the pigeons with that kind of uh, opinion, but th- th- there's a reason why 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 it's regarded as a redheaded stepchild because it has red hair and it is a stepchild. Um, you know. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to be gingest on this podcast. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> Gene Roddenberry wouldn't approve. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I I think the problem with five is that um, there, there's certain things in it that uh, all the other the the next film just never even acknowledges. And so you've got this kind of weird relationship with Yahura and Scotty. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you got um, you know you got the whole thing with. Actually, I I enjoyed when they're doing row 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 your boat. I think that's really that's that's a lot of fun. You can tell that um, the actors are actually having quite a, a lot of fun on it. Uh, I would have I would have loved to seen Sean Connery play the villain in this. 
even though the actor they got was kind of Sean Connery like. Lance Luckenville. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Well, apparently Sean Connery was approached to play Cyborg and, and it was kind of he had a choice between, you know, schedule wise between doing that and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And well, the rest is history. But uh, it would have been. <laughs> yeah, Wrong choice been... made. Wrong choice made. <laughs> Spock. 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 Sh- my brother. He, he chose wisely. <laughs> oh. <laughs> ah, very good. <laughs> but um, uh, a bit of trivia about Lawrence Luckenbill. Or looking Bill, however you say his name, he is actually the son of uh, Lucy Bell and oh, uh, what's the other guy's name? What Desi Arnis, I think. Yes, well, <laughs> yeah, and of course they ran the company that made Star Trek. Star Trek, yeah, Desi Lou Des- Paramount, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, another bit of interesting trivia about him. You know, when we did our Wachowskis episode, and we mm-hmm. said that we didn't think that they were related to anyone in the industry or knew anyone in the industry. Well, apparently Lance Luckenville is actually their uncle. Oh, so okay. there you go. Connections. <laughs> ah. <laughs> oh dear. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, that the, the arc, I think of, of um, two through four mm. um, with obviously things coming up later in six Um you know, you know, I, I think that really works. Um, I think it's interesting, actually. You, you know, we say about, you, you know, we said over the years or, or people said over the years that a lot of things from Star Trek of uh, what they've predicted has sort of come true in terms of technology. So everything, you know, from a flip phone to an iPad to a Bluetooth headset, you, you know, and all those sort of things, um, you know, are now realities um, and obviously inspired by some of the gadgets in Star Trek. But the other thing they kind of got right, I guess, is the whole um, you mentioned, Simon, when we were talking about the next generation, the fact that uh, McCoy um, shows up in that. It's sort of like 130 years old or whatever he's supposed to be at that point. Mm. And it is that whole thing about, you know, we are, you know, we are going to be older for longer. And unfortunately, we don't stay young longer, which is a shame, but but we live longer. And, um, you know, that was always the thing about these films, sort of dealing with the age and, and the fact that they were middle-aged um, or middle-aged by the standards of when these were made. And, uh, you, you know, I, I just think it's funny because, you know, they say that like now 50 is the new 30 and I'm loving that because if that's the case, then we're still all in our 20s. Brilliant. Okay. Yay. Absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree, Keith. I mean, I, I think for me, all six films, the sort of um, the, the thematic link between them is the idea of growing old disgracefully is the old of not it's the idea of not going quietly into this good night right mm. it, it's the sort of it, you know it's, it's the always going after that last adventure you know the the the, <laughs> the kobayashi maru thing you know of of, uh, of never ex- ex- accepting the no-win situation i not accepting death to sort mm. of going out fighting the whole time and 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 you see that you know even in even in the first film where they're quote unquote young uh you know kirk's being told oh you should let the young people uh you know fly this ship you know shouldn't be coming in you're an admiral now this is you know you're you know you're settled um but you know he re- you know he rejects that and throughout this uh, throughout the sort of six films that you know 
various different characters are, are getting these kind of challenges of how they this you know how they're dealing with the fact they're growing older or the fact with you know that either they don't have family or the ship's uh, crew is their only family uh, or or losing family in some cases you know mm. it, it's you know it is it is about i mean especially as they go on the fact that they they do acknowledge the aging of the characters you know in a, even if sometimes it's in a very broad uh we're, we're you know i'm too old for this shit kind of uh you know way you know well actually they they, they never sort of do it that kind of you know jokingly it's it's, it's always done in, in very good taste and you know they they make it a feature of these stories so um with Rafa Khan the fact that Kirk is feeling older you know and he feels as you know less less more days behind less days ahead and you know and then the the film is about him facing his past facing the decisions he's made so not only with Khan but also the fact that he has a son that he he doesn't know and it's 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 done so it's sort of weaved into that story so well and also the fact that the kobayashi maru you know as it's this is the first time we're introduced this you know to this test but it 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 goes it's sort of weaved into the story of this whole entire film it's just not a thing that's there for a bit of fan service like say in star trek the 2009 version oh although it's so beautifully handled in the star trek 2009 one i was oh it's yeah it's it's (laughs) it's a wonderful piece of fan service but yeah uh, but the thing is that the whole idea of the no win situation is sort of you know dealt with in this story where in the 2009 version it's a plot device it's a plot device that's used to, you know, to get Kirk and Spock off off on the wrong foot. Whereas in some ways, the Kobayashi Maru is more of a sort of character thing in in, in uh, Wrath of Khan. You know, it, it kind of shows Kirk being that, that sort of never never give up, never surrender, If to, to slightly quote um, the analogue in uh, Galaxy <laughs> Quest, that kind of thing. <laughs> never give up, never surrender. <laughs> never surrender. But, but it's that kind of thing, you know, it, it makes it makes his character very, very clear, the fact that he's, you know, faced with the absolutely inevitable end of everything, the defeat, he'll still go, no, no, there's still something that can we, we can do. There's still, still something yeah. we can fight with. Well, I mean, so this is the film that, like, so many other films copy especially as we as we moved into next generation and then into the the reboot but um it's still such a strong film and it is all just comes down to the story and the characters they are so well written in this as you as you go from motion picture to this one the the jump in story and quality is huge even though the fact that you know um Budget-wise, they're they're the other way round. Hmm. But it's it's interesting because it, the one thing Wrath of Khan doesn't look cheap mm. at all. You know, obviously they've, they've as as um, you were both saying earlier, you know, there was a lot of cycling done, but you've still got that 
the great ILM special effects. Mm. You've got that sort of groundbreaking stuff with the uh, with the with the Genesis CG bit, which was probably I think that was the first um, long bit of of, of CG um, in the in the movies. You know, it was that groundbreaking. So, so it's it, even though it was pro- it came in at half the budget of the, of the of the motion picture, it still looks a million dollars. Oh god, yeah, they just. Um, uh, I think because even though Nicholas Meyer wasn't a big Star Trek fan, he was he's still a great director, and he just he he knew what to do with all mm. this to get the most out of that budget, as well as um, Harve Bennett. And because you can, you know, because it's it's funny to think when you look back at the 70s and 80s and you look at the budgets of these films that are we think of big blockbusters and they were budgets of about eight million or Mm. 10 million. You know, the films like Star Wars and Aliens, uh, Alien, and yet they stand up so much more than films that are made for a hundred million, hundred and fifty million. It's it's just it's you know it's crazy that that I don't know it's that they pour so much money into a into a project and it it looks worse than a film that was made, you know, thirty years ago. Yeah, I mean, obviously that that sort of money was a was a lot more back in those days. But but yeah, I I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, the you know one of the things that's consistent about the um the star trek movies uh, is that that you know they they do look very good and they are very well made uh, across the board um and uh yeah you, you know it, it's it's interesting I, I mean i think i think bringing you know really fleshing out the characters in this was a good move i mean using that sort of um you, you know triangle of of kirk spock and mccoy and you know, bringing things in like you know Kirk's fondness for antiques, and you know the fact his eyesight's going, you know where where he's hmm. becoming middle aged, and and you know all of those kind of elements work as well. The only thing with with Wrath of Khan, which you know is a near perfect film, but the only thing I always thought was was kind of a a shame, even though it still totally works, is that Kirk and Khan other than a, over a view screen or a communicator, never actually have a face-to-face scene, which I always thought was a bit bit, um, bit of a shame, you know? In some ways, that works even better, the fact that they're mm. having to sort of slash at each other through sort of intercoms and through view screens and things like that. Yeah, I mean, they had their big fight in Space Seed, didn't they? So, well, uh, the engine yeah, room. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, also the fact that, you know, they're both older characters and it, it just i don't think it would have fitted the story to have these two have a fist fight i mean no, it's, no. it's it's a battle of wits they're trying to outwit each other mm. yeah and i mean and and that's what nicholas mayer did so great because mm. like you said he, he not necessarily a sort of major trek fan but you, you know he looked at these as kind of you know submarine warfare type films and 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 you know sort of bought the sort of um the the whole sort of Horatio Hornblower feel to it as well in everything from the sort of look of the costumes to the the you know score that James Horner did you, you know all of that sort of thing and they really played on it I mean the battle between Reliant and um, 
the Enterprise, I just think that that whole sequence, everything from the lighting to the music to the performance, the visual effects, all of that works so well. It's, it's a really great, um, you, you know, piece of action, set piece of action. Oh, and the, the final scene in the nebula, that is absolutely yes. amazing. I mean, the fact that the, you know, that the, the, the odds are even from the fact that uh, both, you know, they can't raise shields and they can't really see each other. And it just comes down to um, Kirk's, you know, experience of, of commanding a starship that beats him. Because hmm. Spock points out that his thinking is more two-dimensional while space is three-dimensional. He's just thinking left and right, up, but he doesn't think up or down. Which again sort of ties into it being much more of a kind of, you know, World War Two sort of naval submarine kind of a thing as well. You know, you, you know, the the the, the waves below, above us and things like that, where where it is very much that sort of cat and mouse thing as well. You know, throwing depth charges around and or, or lobbing torpedoes and seeing what hits sometimes. It's, it's, it's that sort of feel. So, yeah, I've. The whole thing about it being the Horatio Hornblower in space thing really gives everything that much more depth, I think. That whole film permeated the whole of Star Trek from that point on anyway, because all the, the ideas of, you know, the ranks and coming aboard ship and all that kind of stuff that were used in, like, naval films, then, you know, they became part and parcel of like the TV series that came on, okay, came after it, like Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, mm. and of course that you know the Next Generation films and the um, the Star Trek reboot. I mean, why Khan works so well in this film is that you believe in his intellect, the fact that he, you know, more or less defeats the Enterprise. With a, an inferior ship. Mm. As much as, you know, um, Cumberbatch runs around and punches people and screams and, you know, I'm an, you know, all that kind of stuff. He is he's just like a pale imitation, really, to, mm. you know, to, to this yeah. card. No, I agree. Cl- Clive, you're you're quiet. Any 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 um <laughs> any thoughts there on uh, you know Ruff of Khan, or is there no more to say on Ruff of Khan? <laughs> There's always more to say, Ruff of Khan. Surely, <laughs> even if it's just even if it's just that you end up so just repeat repeating Khan quotes or this sort of this is City Alpha Five. Just go off into one. But uh, I, I mean, I, I think you've got to really tip the hat to uh, the screenplay by Jack B. Uh, Sowards um, because you know it's so it's so rare, especially in blockbuster filmmaking now, to to have a, to have a, a villain's plan which is coherent, which which is clear, which works, where it where where what he's doing is born out of his you know the character's actual. Uh, you know, drives and wants rather than we need to get from point A to point B, and uh, and 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 we need this big thing to block there, and because of reasons, uh, you know, it, it's it's just as a piece of storytelling, it's just great, isn't it? Mm. Um, you know, as a horror fan, I of course, you know, at, at a young age, I, I was very much scarred, uh, but at the same time, appreciated the uh, the the ear. Uh, trauma for in this film uh you know uh, it is properly scary and nasty 
uh, all, all that stuff down on uh, SETI Alpha 5. Um, it's dark, yes. It, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's good. And um, yeah, I mean, all right, if, if we're going to be nitpicky, uh, you know, uh, you know, check, uh, why, was, why does Chekhov recognize Khan? You know, <laughs> that's, that's a big thing, you know. Uh, but, he was hey. in the toilet. Well, it, it's not just that, but that Khan recognizes him. Yes. Because he goes, you, I don't know, but you, I remember. Indeed, the whole, the whole, the whole, uh, the whole I think there's, there's fan stories and all sorts of things about how Chekhov was, he may not have been on the bridge, but he was, uh, you know, he was working in some other part of the ship and bumped into Khan during Space Seat. <laughs> <laughs> I asked for yes. tea and you bought me coffee. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 have, I have a question for you guys. Okay. Which is, I mean, you talked uh, obviously about how about Nicholas Meyer's vision for this, and you know the Horatio Hornblower thing, the the uh, you know the, which which you know gives it this very clear unifying thing, the whole submarines in space uh, sort of feel to it. But my question is, obviously, you know, it's a great film, but is it great Star Trek? Because you know. It, it, it does feel it feels uh, feels very militaristic, you know. It feels like we've moved a long way away from Gene Roddenberry's utopian vision. Yeah, I agree. I, I know what you mean, and that is that is a, a, an often debated and, and argued uh, point because you, you know they do say that Harv Bennett and and his team, the way they sort of took the the film series, was a, was indeed a a diversion from uh, you know Gene Roddenberry's vision of, of utopia and uh, everybody getting along and all that stuff. But like Nicholas Mayer said, you know, uh, the basis of best drama is of course conflict. conflict yeah. And um, uh, you, you know, these films were obviously successful. They were, you know, even though Star Trek obviously came first, of course, Star Wars's influence is apparent in these films. I mean, what, right from the fact that ILM uh, did, did many of the, the visual effects for the, for the films, but, you know, right the way, you know, through the fact that there is more in the line of space battles. Okay, they've got a slightly different energy, but they're space battles nonetheless. So, you know, I, I think inevitably um, that was going to have some, some, you know, resonance on, 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 other films that followed and uh you know um this this film yes very militaristic and very dark but obviously as i'm sure we'll start to move into it it does go to lighter places as well mm. <laughs> with 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 the uh, the rest of the in inverted commas trilogy <laughs> but then some of the best track episodes were did have space battles in it or they were up against giant machines that you know that the phasers wouldn't work on this is true Yes, and you've and you've also got examples of um, Kirk's tactical thinking, uh, and you know his skills as as almost a naval captain. You know episodes like the Corbomite maneuver and things mm. like that are very much that kind of pretty much straight up military episodes. I mean, I, I I I absolutely agree. The Trek movies are a different animal to certainly the original series and and so on and so forth. But at the same time, yeah, they they're taking so many elements and translating them across so 
the DNA is there and it's clear to see that, you know, that they've obviously, uh, Bennett and co did, did kind of skew, um, uh, Ratha Khan into being much more of a straight up action thing, but you know, that had to be a reaction, didn't it? Well, but it, it's not a straight up action thing. I mean, it's there's there's a lot more going on than just saying it being an action film. Because hmm. if it was just an action film, then it'd be into darkness. Yeah, I mean, there's still the sense of there's still the sense of exploration. Hmm. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know the whole the whole Genesis project. Um, which, which you know, it, that whole thing goes throughout the the next three films. But you, you know that 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 is a very interesting um, concept and also story device. And you know, obviously, it was something that was designed for good, you know, utopian reasons. But as obviously, uh, as David Marcus says, is being perverted into a, a weapon of, of of mass destruction, or, or that's the intent. Um, <clears throat> By, by Khan at that, at that point, you, you know, so it deals with that. And obviously, you, you know, things like, uh, as we've already mentioned, the age thing and, and the fact that Kirk is dealing with a, a son that he's, that he's got, that he's missed 20 years of, of, or 20 something years of, you know, his life with and growing up and all these sort of choices he made and, and sort of really delving into those things with the characters. And as you rightly said, when you, when you kind of defended, um, Star Trek Five slightly is is you know that's true because that even resonates into into that film as well um, mm-hmm. about you know other people made choices and had families and other people bones not us you know and all this sort of thing so uh, but but yeah so it, it, it's very interesting and and I think um, uh, you, you know the the direction that it took I mean obviously we were all growing up you know we we were still you know, kids or adolescents or young teens or whatever while this was going on. And, um, you, you know, I know for me, uh, these films I know so well because I would literally, if I had them recorded off TV or eventually bought them on, on VHS, watch them over and over and over again. I mean, they were that entertaining, you know. <laughs> Rob, I have a question for you. Yeah, um, sure. Now, when this came out on VHS, this had a 15 rating. Um, mm. But I actually saw this at the cinema when I was a kid. So do you remember what rating this had at the cinema? Uh, crikey. I've got I've got a feeling it would have been... Uh, I don't think it would have been a 15 back then. What it would have been... Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Because we were past the sort of double A period at that point were we weren't we so it would have been presumably into the sort of 12s if not the 12as but mm, no no mm. we definitely don't weren't into the 12s at that point um because 12 no. didn't come in until 1989 Batman, yeah wasn't it? so yeah. this was this was 82 so uh, was there still the the double a rating at that point yeah yeah i would have thought so then right. yeah well like Whether... i said de- definitely when it was shown on television the the, the whole the whole seti ill stuff it still existed and, and worked in the story but the the close up detail of that was was definitely cut because as mm. i said i was i was really shocked in 1986 or whenever um 
Star Trek Four came out when I when I finally saw Wrath of Khan on the big screen, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's got extra shit in it," you know. And then, of course, uh, that stuff ended up being on the VHS versions that were released, um, you know, a couple of years later. Just imagine a six-year-old in a in a cinema scene seeing those figs. Oh, oh absolutely god. freaked me out. Yeah, yeah. scarred for life. Scarred <laughs> for life. <laughs> yes, I don't like things going in my ear. <laughs> Wrath of Khan is one of those um, films that there's so much to talk about with it. It could indeed have its, you know, own podcast. Um, is this a good point to sort of start moving into the search for Spock now? Well, do you think? Yes, certainly. I mean, we should we should probably mention that uh, that Spock dies at the end of uh, <laughs> Wrath spoilers. Of Khan. <laughs> <laughs> well, assuming the next uh, one is the search for Spock. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he, he could have gone off on his holidays and got lost. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just mention that. You know? Yeah, he went off to uh, the Earth. He was getting well, old. I, I, yeah. I think what well, you know, because you know, it is. One of the reasons why it is so beloved mm. is 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 the ending, right? You know, is it, I mean, for me, it still brings a lump to my throat when I watch it. I don't know, about you guys. I agree. Oh, oh, god, Jeff. Yeah, completely. Just to sort of go back to um, motion picture. I mean, when I was watching it, I could see that uh, Nimoy looked really bored in that film. He he really didn't seem to be in, that invested. And of course, this was at the time where he was trying to move away from playing spock so the the, the idea of, of him dying you could see kind of you know give him this energy you know because he, he is a lot different in rafa khan than he is in in the motion picture that's very true because he it, phase two which we talked about which is what sort of became star trek the motion p- picture wasn't actually going to feature leonard nimoy he was the only one of the cast that wasn't going to come back for that and they were going to have another Vulcan character um, instead. But of course, when it then turned into a massive budget blockbuster movie, um, I'm sure they uh, they offered him a shitload of cash to come and be part of it. So, yeah, that, that that's that's very true. He, he, he kind of wasn't, um, you, you know, he had kind of put the character to bed somewhat, I think. I mean, this is the thing about these films. So when it came to Search for Spock, the... Uh, the carrot that they offered him was the director's chair because hmm. yeah again he didn't want to come back and do it and they said well how about if you direct it <laughs> yeah and I, and it launched a directing career for him it i mean did. he went on to direct other things as well as star trek movies following this so Ooh, yeah what other things could you be talking about <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't be something to do about some men and a, and a baby apparently so but we don't want to go there <laughs> does that mean you're not doing movie heaven movie hell on Leonard Nimoy then <laughs> that's uh, right. possibly Poss- possibly <laughs> he's done enough films to, to be in that list there you go so so search for Spock search for Spock what did what do we um what do we feel about this one uh, it's an odd number, which obviously, you know, there was that reputation that the odd ones weren't good. But personally, I, I think that's definitely not the case with this one. I think uh, this is a fabulous film. One of the things I absolutely loved about this was the fact that we got the Klingons back. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, we got the movie the... Klingons. <laughs> yeah. We got the uh, we got introduced the bird of prey which is actually one of my favorite ship designs in star trek here here 
Yeah. Mm. Though I have to say, when again, sort of watching them back to back, you do notice a kind of quality drop between two and three, and it, it's kind of weird because the the lighting in the second one is very dramatic, and then in the third one, the lighting seems to be very flat, and it's kind of jarring because you. I, I was looking at the bridge set, and I was going, "Is that yeah. the same bridge?" It, it, it is. Yeah, it is, but it's lit very bright, isn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah. And it's not until sort of when they steal the Enterprise and that I guess that, you know, they're on the emergency lighting or low power setting of the Enterprise. Do you, Does it look again like the set from Rafa Khan? Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. I mean, different cinematographers, um, you, you know, between these films uh, and obviously, uh, you know, as we've already said, Nimoy at the helm now instead of Nicholas Mayer. Um, you, you know, still Harve Bennett in terms of writing and, and producing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Three is an interesting film. I mean, I, one of the things I, I, you know, big things in Three, of course, was the was the destruction of the Enterprise, which, um, you, you know, when I first saw that, that was a major shock. I had no idea that was coming. And, you, you know, it was it was... I was too young at the time to realize, you know, in terms of storytelling, that uh, inanimate objects could still be characters. And it was weird because I guess the Enterprise was kind of the eighth character. So it really did feel like, you, you know, one of the main characters dying and it had that emotional response. And, uh, you, you, you know, I, I remember I never in a million years thought that was going to happen. And when I saw the film, it was just so nice to, to be surprised by something, you know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, in a, in a sad way as well. I mean, I was sad that the enterprise uh, got destroyed during this. Very sad. Well, there you go. Going back to Clive's theory about uh, the uh, onboard computer being a, a living <laughs> thinking creature. There you go. Yeah. They yeah, killed the it. The, they the, killed the it. tragedy of Star Trek three. <laughs> yeah. They killed it. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the one thing I, I love, about this film and the next film is the fact that they use um, footage from the previous films <laughs> as as like um, you know as like um, you know they're, they're watching security camera footage and they're just watching the film back it always reminds me of that scene out of uh, Spaceballs the movie you know <laughs> oh god the sort of recursive stuff yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's just watch the film now because the I think in three they did it better than four, because four they obviously were just watching the film because they 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 freeze it on the bit where the where you see the Enterprise blow up from outside the ship, even yeah. though the security footage is inside the ship. Yeah, it's supposed to be from the Bird of Prey that bit, isn't it? I think, but but you see this this is another thing like we were talking about earlier about the things they sort of predicted that that that's correct mm. is the fact that now you know. We, we've got police officers wearing body cams. We've got organizations that record everything. And, uh, you, you know, that kind of thing that at the time seems sort of a bit of science fiction is, is actually a fact, you know, that everything now on, on like a military vessel is recorded and recorded to that detail. And when you think about it, that is something that even went back to the 60s series because, in the in the menagerie where they used the cage footage from the original unaired pilot, 
um, you know, the idea is there that they are supposed to be watching, um, you know, footage from that had been recording recorded on the Enterprise while Captain Pike was serving. So again, it's it's, it's really quite fun, I think, how um, you know, life life imitates art and art imitates life, and it kind of feeds into into reality. You know, that 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 sort of tech is 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 here and now, along with our you know smartphones and tablets and bluetooth headsets and all that other stuff <laughs> the the way i love the the way they use the footage in this one is because he actually re, he watches bits and then he rewinds it and then watches another bit and then rewinds it so they're, they're <laughs> finding that bit where um spock Remember. passes on <laughs> his, his his chakra onto a uh, mccoy and um and of course if if you've seen the making of rafa khan there's a wonderful bit where William Shatner goes on about remember. It's like, yeah, Nemo and and Maya, they just came up with that so they could just bring him back. I was just, <laughs> there was none of that in the scripts. I have to say I kind of agree with him because in Rafa Khan, when he says remember, it's in a close-up, which could have been shot at any time. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's one of those things. It's kind of... You know, it, it, it was all kind of convenient, and um, uh, but it, it's funny in the spirit of the way they did it in this film, and the fact that we, you know there was still a lot we didn't know about Vulcans and Vulcan culture, and the fact that they split it across two films, mm. you, you, you know, you're kind of with it, and uh, you, you know, I, I I never really had a problem with the fact that they brought him back from the dead. I, I well, split it across three films. This is why this is kind of considered a trilogy because then in the fourth one it's about spock trying to find himself again exactly yeah yeah it's 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 uh you know it's it's a good bit of you know when we're talking about like you were saying earlier i think clive about you, you know or maybe it was you rob about um going back to to real science fiction storytelling and rather than it yeah. just being action in space um, you, you know, this this is kind of a you, you can't get more sci-fi element than this culture that's that's able to sort of transfer their um, you know their living soul into into another body and 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 regenerate and things of that nature. So I thought it was quite well handled. The regeneration thing is is it's down to Genesis, of course. Yeah. Mm. The reason why um, that Savak turns up and asks. It's not Sarek. It's, who's his father? Sarek. Sarek. Sorry, because yeah. there is Savik. <laughs> Sarek. Yeah. Yeah. They all used to sort of begin with S A S at the time. Spock, Cybok, Savik. Yeah. Sarek. Yes. <laughs> the idea was that to to bring uh, his body and mind so that they could do like a burial. So the idea is that his spirit would go up to whatever version of. Um, Vulcan heaven or or, or or something like that the the idea was that that the he, his mind wasn't going to be put back into his body because his body was dead but because of this you know of genesis, genesis effect. yes yeah. because of the genesis effect regenerating his body from so obviously when he it's i and i still can't quite get my head around how it turned his dead body into a baby <laughs> yes you know i i can i can understand him bringing back his body but it it, it but it instead of like 
I don't know. I, I guess is it a is he a clone of of the of of Spock? I think I think it's that leap that you've got to sort of take, isn't it? It's it's it's, it's Hollywood science, isn't it? Yeah, they kind yeah. of say that the Matrix has you know rejuvenated his DNA or recreated his DNA, but it, it's still kind of you know because the, the the body's missing and you just see his his funeral robe. And then you just sort of see him sort of he's connected to the planet, so he grows in these spurts. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean I mean one 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 of the things Sorry. one of the things even, even even though I love Search for Spock, one one of the things that, that kind of just from a continuity point of view kind of bothered me, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, was you, you know, one of the good things they'd done with Star Trek is even though there'd been like uh, many years had gone by um, between the, the the original series and the movies, but they were able to, you know, assemble that that cast and get that cast back together, um, as well as some of the supporting characters like Nurse Chapel and Yeoman Rand, and you know those those kind of guys that, that crop up in some of it. Mm. But um, it was a real shame. I really liked the character of Savick, and y- you know. Um, Obviously, Kirsty Alley didn't want to, uh, to 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 come back, and they got Robin Curtis for this, who who didn't, you know, she was fine, she didn't do anything wrong, but it was the fact that they they were both very phys- physically different types, and also uh, handled the character somewhat different. And I was always kind of disappointed that uh, you didn't have that sort of continuity through the three films, with you know, with Savick being played by two different actresses, but. Uh, but but you know not not that Robin Curtis did a bad job. It was just odd to see somebody else playing that character that uh, that that they really brought to the forefront in the second film as being one of the sort of younger, newer generation characters to 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 join with this old crew. You know, hmm. saying that though, I actually prefer Robin Curtis. Okay, I think she plays a better Savick than uh, the other one. A bit more Vulcan-like, perhaps. I don't yeah. know what it is. I think um, she sort of struck a chord with me more than than Kirsty Alley did. I think it's just that just because it's Kirsty Alley, and you mm. go, for me, I always see her more as the the sort of comedy actress, and I could never really see her, see her as a Vulcan in the way I could Robin Curtis. I, I agree with with Keith. I think um, Robin Curtis actually makes a more believable Vulcan in in three. No, you 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 agree with me. <laughs> 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 Keith is all about the uh, Kirsty Alley. Well, no, 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 not necessarily. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying. I was sad that it was a different actress. To, to keep continuity, it would have had to be Kirsty Alley. Of course. So yes, but, but no, I, 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 I have no. I, I want to go on record as saying it. I have no problem with Rob, what Robin Curtis did. I just think it's. I always think it's a shame. We we we've we've had this conversation in depth about other sci-fi shows, right? Um, but I, Bl- but I Blake Seven. <laughs> but I always think it's sad when 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 you've got a series of films and and obviously there's there's various production reasons as to why this happens. But when when an actor does change and um, uh, you know. More, more in the case that they managed to get all of the originals back um, for all the other characters. It was, it was just a, a shame, but doesn't take away from the fact that this is this is a great movie, um, nonetheless. Speaking of that, we have to bring up Merritt uh, Buttrick because he died soon after making this film. I mean, he how did. lucky they were that 
if this had been made, say, like a year later, they would have had to replace David as well. Yeah. Well, one of the things, I mean, that in terms of a character arc and sort of character story, I, I, I kind of like the fact that, um, you know, Kirk's son turned out to be not the perfect guy. Um, you, you know, the fact that he that he cheated like his dad did with the Kobayashi Maru. But, you know, the fact that he cheated um, with with, uh, you know, the Genesis project. And as a result, you know, the Genesis project is a failure I, I kind of like that that they, they they sort of brought that darkness in for that character and um and 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 you know he ends up mm. uh, you know being a sacrifice um because of it all it's it's it that was nicely handled i thought what about you I, 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 I have a problem with the david storyline okay uh and, but it, it's more it's more to do with my the the issue i have with starship free as a whole you know, uh, and uh, it's and basic stuff. No, no, no. <laughs> it, 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 this is it's the same issue I have with uh, Terminator Three, which is basically the whole film is just a giant retcon, right? Of, of what happened in the previous film, right? And for me, it does slightly tarnish what happens in the previous film. You know, it's it's basically you know you do something incredibly ballsy at the end of the, of the last one, right? And then you just then you so then you're not spending a whole other film which is basically devoted to the completely opposite premise of the one that's gone before. So, uh, admittedly, in The Search for Spock, this works a lot better than in Terminator 3. Because in Terminator 3, it's saying, oh, rather than, it's saying the future is set, which is an incredibly down mm. and depressing uh, messages take away, as opposed to, you know, the future's not set, you can change things, which we had from Terminator 2, right? Uh, whereas, you know, and obviously in, Star Trek Two, famously, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one, uh, the few or the one, and, and obviously they flip it for for search for Spock. Now, because because they set up because they set up things into like Genesis Project, like Remember, it does it goes down better as a retcon, but it's still a retcon. And the other the other retcon thing, coming back to the sort of David story, is, you know. Carol Marcus is, you know, in, in two, is the inventor of the, Gen of the Genesis project. It's, it's her baby. David is one of the scientists on her team and was involved in it. But then they completely retcon it in three to, oh, suddenly it's all David's idea. She's, she's I, I understand from a, a character economy point of view, you maybe don't want to bring that, that character back because, you know, it brings in complications with Kirk. But... This idea that suddenly, oh, you know, he, he put in this unstable matter into the Matrix. It's suddenly all about what David did. And it just seems, and because, I, I, maybe because, uh, you know, Star Trek, at least, you know, in its original crew version, is quite like a male-centric thing, right? You know, you got Uhura and uh, Savik and a few other characters, but it's mainly blokes. So, you know, the, 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 you know, the fact you bring in Karen Marcus and she's so key and she's so important, and then the next film you, you basically write her out and it's sort of, oh, this thing that she invented, she didn't really do it. That, that bothers me when I watch it back. Now, you know, there's plenty of other things that I like from the film. I, you know, I really enjoy Christopher Lloyd. Uh, uh, you know, he's 
get out, get out of there. <laughs> or it, it's, it, 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 it's like full on, you know, it, it, it gives a lovely sort of Klingon uh, performance. Um, and, you know, uh, and ultimately, uh, you know, and I like the fact that, and obviously as a Star Trek fan, ultimately the fact that, that they bring the, the gang all gets back together again is, is nice. But, like I say, it's it's this retcon thing, isn't it? And you're left with a film that's a bit a bit of an odd duck because, you know, Spock's barely in it, and and you know, and Uhura is sort of not in it for a large swathe of things. It's it's it feels wrong to have uh, you know Chekhov doing the communications. Uh, even he looks uncomfortable doing it. Oh yeah, what the hell was he wearing? <laughs> you know all the other guys they've got these lovely leather jackets and he's wearing this pink thing with a white collar <laughs> it's just like oh yeah which they which, which remarkably got changed for the next film yes. even though they, they, it was supposed to carry on like just the, you know just afterwards but yeah <laughs> that's been one of the things i think with certainly the um the odd number of films is that the Mem- certain members of the crew get shortchanged. Well, I think there's always going to be an element of that anyway. I'm going to say, but in the evening, f- even films, they all have their moments to shine. It's the, it's mm-hmm. this weird thing where I don't know what mm. it is about the odd number of films, but they 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 seem to sort of delve into more of the Kirk McCoy Spock thing. And the others kind of feel a bit sidelined. They're there, they do things, but they don't have like their moments like they do in Rafa Khan or in uh, the Voyage Home or in you know in the Undiscovered Country. You know, they all yeah. have their moments to shine. They all have these great moments, which in the other films not so much. I mean, in the fifth one, uh, Sulu and Chekhov are hardly in it. Uh, so, which Sorry. is why in Six of Sight it's so nice to see Sulu having his own ship, right? You know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is tricky with these ensemble casts, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, y- y- you know, st- I don't know. Star Trek Three is it's it's kind of that middle chapter of of the of the trilogy. Um, but yeah, I, I totally take your points, uh, Clive, about the sort of you know rectoning some of the stuff that had been. Um, that had been set set in the in the previous film. Um, although I do think, in terms of of, of writing, um, you know, they they handle it. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I watched this stuff when I was a kid and I was more accepting of stuff. <laughs> I don't know, but um, it, it never really bothered me so much. It, it just seemed that they they handled it quite well. Um, even though you know, bringing a character back from the dead is is a <laughs> is insane. <laughs> well, I mean, this is this is. I think this is what the problem with Search for Spock is: is it's a story to bring back Spock. So everything is just aimed at that, and so that's everything's in service of that. So anything else, any sort of wonderful character moments and stuff, are kind of put to the side because we got to get Spock back. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think I'd agree. In in the same way that X Men Apocalypse is just a story about how Charles Xavier loses his hair, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, it, it, and and Storm's hair's Storm's hair goes white. I think Apocalypse, exactly, yeah. Apocalypse missed his calling. He should have been a hairdresser. <laughs> well, you know, you uh, anyone who's curious can check out our A set of SFF podcast <laughs> on that. Which oh, we, nice we, plug. We, uh, <laughs> we, we go into, we go into a lot of detail on on his uh, record as a uh, as a 
a, a mutant hairdresser. <laughs> that is our whole other podcast. Um, Rob, you're being quite quiet about Star Trek Three. What What are your thoughts? Um, well, it's 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 a film about sacrifice to a certain extent. It's a film about loss to a certain extent. It's a, it's a film about what happens. It's a, it, it's almost about balance as well. You know, Kirk is is desperate to get his friend back but in the course of that he loses both his son and his ship um it's there's some dark stuff going on in this film definitely there's also the issue of it being kind of the middle part of a trilogy even though we didn't realize at the time it was a middle part of a trilogy but you know it's it's kind of setting a story setting up something that we won't see until later on and um the recovery of, of 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 a beloved character as well it's yeah it's it, it it's an odd duck in a way but i'm still very fond of it you know i i agree with everyone about um christopher lloyd's uh performance as well you know he goes full cling on and he does that extraordinarily well considering again you know people sort of took him to be like the the comedy actor you know, the, the doc brown and and, and he's, he's got a fair yeah, he's he's a bit of a swivel-eyed loon in this one, but at the same time, he's a very significant threat. And yeah, let's face it, he does what every other Klingon has ever wanted. He he gets to knock the Enterprise out of the sky. Yeah, yeah. Well, with the with the whole Klingons thing, I mean, I was so glad they kind of got to to build on what they what they obviously set up in in Star Trek the motion picture, and in, in in so much as we saw these you know these different these these more alien. Klingons, you know, these Klingons with a budget. Um, mm. And uh, obviously, you know, that is with, with Next Gen and Worf and all that, it's gone on, that whole Klingon culture's gone, you know, expanded out to be this, you, you know, to have this massive history and backstory and all of this sort of thing. But but what they did in this was it was a really nice way of of bringing those those new Klingons back and you know introducing the fact that he had his little Targ creature on the bridge with him and and all of this sort of stuff and that whole sort of warrior element I, I thought uh, I thought they handled it you know really well and that's one of the things I loved about this film is, is we got the Klingons as the bad guys which was awesome you know yeah definitely <laughs> definitely. Right, I have one question for you all before we move on to the uh, voyage home, and that is, uh, do you think that Spock and Savick had sex? Uh, you've been reading the novels again, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. The, when um, Spock is, uh, I think, around his sort of late teens, he goes through the Ponfire. Mm-hmm. Ponfire, yeah. Ponfire, yeah. sorry. Yeah. And... Um, and of course, the only way to relieve this is to take a mate. Mm. Yeah. Well, there is the theory that the reason she stays on Vulcan uh, at the beginning of Star Trek Three is because, you know, she discovers she's pregnant um, with Spock's child. I mean, that that's been a kind of, you, you know, it's not said on screen, and it's certainly you know never expanded upon. But there there have been uh, there has been talk about that, whether it's fan headcanon fan theory stuff i don't know but uh, apparently the novel i've not read it but the novelization which i believe may have been one of those alan dean foster novelizations at the time um actually has a scene that explains that oh wait apparently. wait wait a minute why did we not mention this who wrote the story of motion picture oh alan dean foster, foster. Mm. <laughs> yeah. oh, there mean, you go i mean Link. 
<laughs> but no, I mean, it's amazing that it's it, he only has sort of two credits uh, for stories and films, and yet he is well known for writing the novelizations of all these films. And also for doing uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye for Star Wars, which at one point was going to be the sequel to uh, to Star Wars. But but yes, there is there is that whole theory thing about that, mm. and I don't know. Um, obviously, obviously they never explored it, and of course the timelines reset now, so it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I'm I'm just wondering, you know, personal uh, feelings. Do you think they did or didn't? Well, if it's Pon Far, then they did because it's the mating ritual. Okay. Simple as that, <laughs> Clive. Well, I I, 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 never read it that way. I, I, I thought that that she was able to relieve his pain because it was like a maternal bond. Okay. Uh, but, but perhaps I'm just very naive. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because it it does. I mean, again, having just watched it the other day, it 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 doesn't. It it it, it feels like more of that kind of. Yeah, a sort of maternal bond, or of or, or a way of just sort of maybe easing his pain, without... easing his tension. Oh yeah, I know that. <laughs> well, uh, it, it's also worth pointing out that he's not a full blood Vulcan, so so perhaps the rules are slightly different. I just I just say, hey, you can't blame a young Spock for trying, right? That's right. <laughs> hey, babe, this planet's going to not be here much longer. You know, we're not getting any younger. I'm certainly not. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's... <laughs> Bum, chicka, wow, wow. Chicka, yeah, exactly. Wow, wow. There you go. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm, I'm sure there's fan stories out there you, you know of all sorts of weird things going on but yes, they probably kirk yeah. joined in as well <laughs> oh, and down no. the slippery slope we go yes <laughs> that's it um yes it's probably why um he can't remember anything at the end but at the end beginning of number four <laughs> <laughs> i have no memory of that <laughs> yeah i don't know Indeed. what you're talking about that wasn't me <laughs> <laughs> i ain't no i ain't your baby's daddy <laughs> uh, i'll tell you by the way one scene i thought was really nicely directed shot and and everything was i really liked the mind meld scene between um Sarek and kirk in Kirk's quarters at the beginning. I think that's really nicely done. Um, I don't know whether yeah. you guys remember that, but yeah, I think... No, I, 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 I do, because I watched it the other night, so yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is... The small moments are, are good, I, I think. Yeah, it, it's the... It's perhaps the bigger set pieces where you can see it's it's his first... It's his first, you know, film, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, we we got to talk about the hijacking of the Enterprise. I mean, that that whole sequence. Um, I don't know about you guys. I know it's a bit silly and whatever, but I love it. I love the whole, you know, McCoy going to the bar, you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> suffering from the mind meld, and you know, Kirk breaking him out of the of, of the detention uh, holding place, and you know, stealing the Enterprise, and they they all. I mean. That is the one bit. I know what you mean about some of the characters are slightly shortchanged in this, but in terms of the actual escape and the plan, everybody has a, a bit to do in that. I mean, even Ahura with uh, with Mister Adventure and all that mm. sort of stuff. Yeah, so that that bit of the film I think is a lot of fun. 
and uh, you know obviously introduces the Excelsior as well, which um, we, we, which which is great. But uh, what what did you guys think about that that bit as a sort of bit of entertainment? Oh no, it's good. Yeah, I'm always up for a little bit of heist stuff anyway. I mean, I've mentioned as well that lovely bit of casting having James B. Sicking as the uh, captain of the uh, Excelsior as well. So he's, he's this real sort of... Um, he's he's basically playing the same role that he played in Hill Street Blues, this this kind of real uptight, sort of uppity sergeant major type and, and just gets completely flawed by um, Scotty's nifty little tricks in engineering so so that bit's great as well yeah i love the fact he's even got like a swagger cane and everything oh god yeah absolutely (laughs) again it's bringing some of that militaristic stuff into it but uh, it kind of (laughs) worked yeah uh and then of course this all leads to uh part four which is the uh the voyage home Mm. yeah i mean obviously with with Star Trek, even back in the 60s, you know, you, you had your time travel episodes. I mean, time travel was always part of Star Trek. And, um, you know, you've got great, great episodes like City on the Edge of Forever, but, but there were a number of others as well. But, um, you know, I, I remember an interview with Harve Bennett uh, back around the time of this film was they also got some uh, pressure from Paramount to bring not only a time travel film but also a lighter hearted film in because of the success the previous year of back to the future so again it's funny how these things kind of feed one another um and indeed you know obviously voyage home is a much lighter film all round. you know much more of a a light-hearted film like the back to the future films were and then of course does indeed you know deal with 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 time travel which is which which as i said is the first star trek movie to do it but obviously many of the star trek episodes that that came first had done it and of course it's then used in so many movies and 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 episodes to follow <laughs> well i mean you're, you're quite right i mean this tone is set by the music i mean this is the only film out of the six that is not scored by jerry goldsmith or um or uh, james horner uh, this one's uh, scored by Leonard Rosenman, and it's it's got that kind of you know it, it doesn't have that kind of space opera feel to it. It's a bit more perky. Yeah, know? I mean six, six is actually Cliff Idleman. Oh, okay. but Again, again, six is done to have a very dark tone. In, it in contrast does. To yes. This. Yeah. Yes, it has but, a, a the the music's a lot darker. But yeah, um, I have to say though, there's still come some quite dark elements to this. I mean, the fact that the uh, Saratoga at the beginning loses all power and that crew suffocates to death. Hmm. Oh yeah, they're the first ones they encounter that probe, and they at the end when the probe is going away, they only recover power as it flies past. So the Saratoga, these poor people. I mean, you can see the look on their faces when you see the ship listing and everything that they're fucked. Yeah. And it's never mentioned, you know. No, I mean it does. It does absolutely have its dark elements as well, and of course, as it's obviously its environmental message in mm. there as well. But um, well, yeah, they literally but, saved the whales. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I think again. Um, I know Harv. Um, sorry, obviously, as well as Harv Bennett, I know that uh, Nick Mayer, even though he didn't direct this, he was brought in to do a. Um, uh, a second pass a rewrite on the script um which had been developed and he brought in a lot of the 
you know, again, the, the, the literature references, but also um, a lot of the humour stuff. Um, mm. Some of it quite subtle, like the whole thing about Kurt going on about um, Spock being at Berkeley and doing a little dip bit too much LDS. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he just he just keeps getting the uh, the terminology wrong, doesn't he? He well, does. Yeah, he's like yeah. double damn you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean double dumbass on you. You. Yeah. That's it. It, 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 it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, it's quite it, some of it's you know quite subtly done, but it it, it works and it, and it is amusing. Um, and of course, obviously, Nimoy gets to not only direct this, but be in it in a much more, you know, active capacity as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, you know, this is like you were saying, Simon, about the the even films mm. having something for all of the all of the main you know cast to do. Um, this film absolutely ticks this box that box because yeah. they they all of them have their moment in this don't they they do i mean from uh Chekhov, uh going around asking for nuclear vessels <laughs> do you know where the nuclear vessels are <laughs> can you direct me to the nuclear vessels <laughs> <laughs> and of course this being i guess not at the height of the cold war but coming in the end you know there's still a bit of paranoia about the ruskies mm, definitely I mean, Star Trek Four is notorious. Well, not notorious, but it's certainly the one that most non-Star Trek fans would say that they they can actually enjoy because it's got all these lovely little moments, and it it's, it does fit. You know, being mostly contemporary set as well helps. It doesn't have the the sort of science fictional baggage that does put people off. So that that's kind of what what helped it to become the success that it was. Really, you know, not just the lightness of tone, but but the but the fact it could it had a, a, a a subtly put environmental message and all that other stuff as well. And, and the comedy that was in there. Mm. Yeah. It's this fish out of water story, basically, isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, no pun, no pun intended with, with the, uh, with the <laughs> uh, which, which, which aren't fish as we know. Uh, <laughs> it's a whale out of water story. <laughs> but you know, the, the, all the kind of stuff like, like whether, when, uh, when you've got, <laughs> when you've got Kirk and Spock riding the bus and there's the punk yeah. playing, his music yeah. too loud, and, and then they give. Then they so in, until Spock gives him the Vulcan nerve pinch, and then the whole bus applauds him, uh, <laughs> applauds him for turning the music off. Uh, I mean, that's. I mean, scenes like that. It, it feels like it could have come out of Crocodile and Crocodile Dundee, right? Yes, you know, which yeah. is what yeah. previous year or the same year. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and it and it it has that sort of you know that that. Uh, that kind of broad fish out of water comedy in LA feel to it, you know, and, but you know, it, it's such an accessible film and I think that's, it's great because it is a nice gateway drug. Mm. I think, as I, I mean, this for me was probably the, uh, it's definitely the first one I saw on the big screen. And I remember at the time uh, I was, I was into mad magazine and I remember, uh, I remember getting the mad magazine parody of Star Trek for the voyage home, which I recommend because it's really good. Oh yeah, I I used to have all the uh, Mad magazines when they had Star Wars in the cover. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you know, it, it's it's obviously very silly, but uh, but hey, so so some elements in the Voyage Home. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, you know, for for a time, I I I, I probably might have said this was my uh, my favourite Star Trek film at the, you know when I was younger because. It's just fun, isn't it? You can just put it on. You can just let it wash over you, enjoy it, have have a few laughs. 
you know, would I say it was the best one now? No, but uh, <laughs> but you know, it's just it's just uh, the the interaction between the crew is just spot on, um, and you know, all, all the human moments. You want to see how it, and if you want to see how that maybe doesn't work quite so well, look at five, where there's lots of quote unquote, ah, and now we're going to have a comedy moment because yes. that went so well in the last film, yeah. uh, but they just like amp it up or overcook it, and it's just like, just, ah. Uh, I don't know. I think uh, Shatner's idea of funny is, I don't think, doesn't, is quite out of step. I mean, um, I'll give you a good example. Um, when he goes on board the bridge of the Enterprise, he's met with a yeoman who he hands his coat to. And then if you watch the rest of that scene, you will see her in the background wandering around with this coat. And the joke being that there's nowhere on the bridge to actually put this coat on. I think the also the other fact is it's, it's Shatner's daughter as well who's <laughs> wandering around with this. And as as you'll probably... If you go back and watch five, you'll notice that she appears in quite a lot of scenes. She's, uh, you know, quite a popular yeoman. There you go. <laughs> Bourbon and beans, an explosive combination. <laughs> <laughs> Four is, it is, it's just, it's nice. And it's also a fact that a testament to the, to this series of films within Star Trek is that they can be different. Yes. That they can, you know, yeah. that they can have like this light and kind of fluffy uh, film, and it not be terrible. Like with like when Next Generation did Insurrection, which is kind of like its equivalent, but just not pulled off so well. No, you're you're right about the fact. I mean, when you think that this film is actually the conclusion of the story arc that starts in Wrath of Khan, but, you, you know, you couldn't get a tonally more different film. So so you're absolutely right. It, it totally works. And, you know, you've got, if you, if you do watch this as a trilogy, you have, you know, a lot of variety in there, um, but it still makes a cohesive story. So it's very well handled, I think, actually. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I also like the fact that um, McCoy and Spock... After you know McCoy carrying his uh, chakra around for a while, seems to be a bit more closer to Spock because they have these couple of scenes together where you know McCoy is trying to you know reach out to him and Spock's kind of you know <laughs> he's just being Spock. Mm. I mean the whole bit about he wants the McCoy wants to know what death was like, and <laughs> it's like well I can't talk to you about without some sort of you know. Was it point common of, point of reference? reference. Yeah. yeah, and McCoy goes, "I have to die before I can talk to you about death." <laughs> <laughs> and I like the line about you really have been where no man has gone before. before. Oh, yeah. right. but, but but in fact, the best line I think probably in Star Trek Five is when he goes, "Oh damn it, Jim! I preferred him before he died." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, so okay um let's let's go around the table and ask uh what's your favorite scene in four all guests first (laughs) okay well well i'll jump straight in and have um scotty's interaction with the computer in the architect's office that's wonderful yes (laughs) 
Yeah. Computer. Computer. <laughs> a keyboard. How quaint. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Scott. It's just such a, again, talking about the whole fish out of water thing, it just works so well because obviously Scotty has certain expectations for the way technology works. And sadly, um, we, we just weren't up to that. You know, the whole, the whole idea about, was it transparent out, uh, aluminum? And, and yes, that's like, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I I also love the fact where McCoy says to Scotty, "Can I have a quick word with you?" And he goes, "Well, isn't this changing the timeline? Aren't we messing with the future?" And Scotty goes, "How we not know? He was the man who invented it." <laughs> yeah, and McCoy exactly. goes, "Ah." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a great little piece, that whole mission that they have, isn't mm. it? I like that. Yeah. <laughs> the transparent aluminum. Oh, <laughs> they've got to build, what is it? They've got to build the, the well tank. And what is it McCoy says? Oh, joy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Clive, what's your favourite scene? Uh, I don't know. It's difficult to sort of pick them out, isn't it? Because uh, I've, I've already sort of, I've already, you know, nodded to the scene on the bus, which I, which mm. I enjoy. Um, I, 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 I quite like the, uh, uh, the, 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 the super awkward date, mm. uh, that, that, that's good. Uh, that, no, the bit preceding the date where it's like, uh, uh, where, 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 uh, Kirk's taking, taking the sort of the, uh, whale expert out for dinner. And, and, and so he's like, uh, oh, uh, and, and Spock's with him. And so he's like basically dumps Spock yeah. uh, in the park. And, 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 and she goes, wait, he's just going to wait here in the park. Uh, and, in, in the bushes. In the bushes. And, and, and he goes, it's his, it's his way. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's, just this lo- it's just this lovely moment. Uh, and yeah. Oh, no. I mean, I, I love all this, the interaction in the, in the, uh, the truck because she picks him up, doesn't she? And, uh, yeah. Kirk says, "Oh, we should maybe go for a meal." And she goes, "Oh, how's Italian?" And Kirk's going, "Oh, yeah, I like that." And Spock's going, "No." And Spock and Kirk's going, "Yes." And Spock's going, "No." <laughs> yeah. Obviously, we Spock. love Italian, and so do you. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so, Keith, what's your favourite scene? I re- I really love the breaking Chekhov out of hospital. Uh, sequence yes I, I think that's a lot of fun and it's, um, it's a lot of but, fun because of mccoy oh mccoy is i mean that's his moment isn't it where especially mm. when he's going what are we in the dark ages you know dialysis and all that you know kidney dialysis all that sort of stuff um but yeah you know and, and obviously um you know check off because let's be honest check off in these movies always gets injured have you noticed that <laughs> <laughs> apart from six everything yeah, well, yeah, apart from that, I guess. But, you know, he gets his hand burnt in the first one and he yeah. gets the, ear, the, the the thing in his head, in the in his ear in the in the second one. And, you know, in this one, he, he basically is going to, you know, die because he, he falls off that, you know, nuclear vessel, 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 yeah. vessel thing. Vessel. And, uh, and, and, you know, nearly cracks his head open and you know, all this stuff. And it's like, bloody hell, Chekhov is the w- real whipping boy of the, uh, of, of the movies, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> just a bit yeah uh, but yeah i do love that bit where they break him out um and uh you know you know that that and of course that spock's turnaround moment isn't it because 
you, you know, Kirk says, is that is that the logical thing to do? And he says, no, but it's the human thing. And, uh, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of character evolution, um, yeah, I thought that was all quite nice. A scene that I always enjoy is um, the scene where Spock's swimming with the whales. Oh, yes. And the yeah. whole Kirk's <laughs> reaction to it, because... He he can see him in there, and he's kind of he's trying to do this thing where he's trying not to bring attention to himself, but he's trying to signal Spock to get out of the water. <laughs> and uh, Gillian, who's the whale expert, is talking about they're not quite sure what whale song is if it's a way of communication and stuff. And you get the little old lady go, maybe she's talk, maybe he's talking to that man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, there, there are so many great mm. moments in this, aren't there? There really yeah. are so many great moments in this film. But at the same time, when you look at the beginning and the end of it, it's uh, it totally fits into the, you know, into the Star Trek world one hundred percent. And um, what you, know, you mean? Quite in the, you mean in that it's a bit of a remake of Star Trek One? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of is <laughs> yeah. plot wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Is, is, is that threat against Earth? Again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of a probe searching for its creator, it's a probe trying to find out what happened to the whales. It's a very similar setup. But, yeah. uh, you, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's handled quite well. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy this one as a, um, as a sort of rounding off, you know, and mm. obviously. He gets, you know, they get the Enterprise A at the beginning of it. So, um, at oh, sorry, the at the end of it. Sorry. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> errors and omissions, yeah. No, yes. uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it, it's all good. And then, of course, this leads into five. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... Well, um, as I was watching these, um, uh, <laughs> Keith sort of texted me in the middle of it, and I said, um, uh, I, got, I got five to watch, and... Uh, and Keith, you said, oh, at least you've got six after it. <laughs> <laughs> there's always a silver lining yes (laughs) well i mean i i remember seeing this in the cinema and i remember there was me and one other person the screen when it was on i was there was not many people in but yet for some weird reason i kind of enjoy this film i mean it is it is not the best of of the star treks at all Mm. (laughs) it's it is it's it you know as much as the motion picture could be referred to as maybe the boring picture or whatever, at least it had a, a you know some interesting ideas, ideas to think about. This one just, yeah, it's kind of like it, it had this wonderful idea about going to the center of the universe and meeting God and stuff, but it just didn't quite, I don't know, it just didn't deliver. Well, I'll tell you what, though, I don't think it's ever boring, and that's what makes no. it... You know, no. it's 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 always watchable, even if it's just like, what the hell am I watching now? There's the there's always it gallops along. And I also like the fact that we see <laughs> some insights into McCoy and and Spock. Mm. That we see, uh, especially with McCoy having to make that decision about his father. Yeah, and that is this this sort of guilt that he's carried all this time. You know, because that's something we never knew about the character, and I thought that was that was a really good, powerful scene. 
I kind of like the opening as well. It's, uh, I mean, this year, finally, I'm pleased to say I, I've, I finally managed to visit Yosemite National Park, which has been one of my, um, you, you know, one of the things I've wanted to do for, for many years. And uh, it really is beautiful, by the way. I, anybody gets a chance to go, I, I highly recommend it. But I did, I did kind of like the fact that, you know, in this utopian future, 300 years, you know, from now, uh, you know, Yosemite National Park is still there and you know it's it's still um you know it hasn't been sort of you know built upon and it's still you know guarded land and all this sort of thing and I, I did kind of like the whole um you know bit at the beginning where where obviously it's obviously not William Shatner but there's a there's a double <laughs> climbing I, I I love the fact that uh, or for one he's climbing El Capitan Indeed, indeed. There you go. Oh, very nice. Also, <laughs> the the sort of shots of uh, Shatner up up the uh, the mountain is actually was shot in the car park. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> uh, oh, trust me. I had a picture that made me look like I was climbing El Capitan, but I was stood <laughs> firmly on the ground. But no. Um, but but uh, y- you know the other l- l- less. You know, let's give Shatner some credit. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that they did with this film, which was apparently at Shatner's insistence and uh, I think was a great thing, was they brought Jerry Goldsmith back for the score. And bearing in mind that this was the first film that came out after The Next Generation had started. You know, it came out the same year that Next Generation uh, started so it kind of helped sort of tie it together because of course they used Goldsmith's theme for uh, the next generation so uh, y- you know that the score of this is great um, uh, you know and it's got some good set pieces in it it's just that overall it's not you know there are bits of, of it that don't work and it's uh, you know it's a bit rushed and a bit silly in places but um, you know it's it's an enjoyable enough ride I think. Hmm. I know, I know, probably, Clive, what are your thoughts? I think you've probably got stronger <laughs> I, thoughts than me. I, I think I've, I've kind of already expressed them earlier, <laughs> you know, in, 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 a, in a very short, four-letter fashion. But um, uh, it, it's it's just, I think, okay, if you if you just sit down and watch Star Trek V in isolation, that you know, it's still poor, in my opinion, but... But there is there are fun things to be had in it, and there are fun scenes, and as you say, it's quite quotable and it moves along. But if you're what you know, it, it, you got to put yourself in the position of watching this at the cinema at the time, right? And you've just come off the back of, of this trilogy of films, and okay, maybe Search for Spock, not quite as good, but you got the you got the you got the great Star Trek two, you got the uh, you know, okay, like let's just say good. Uh, for the for the sake of argument, search your Spock. Then you got the very good, uh, you know, voyage home, and then you get the final frontier, and it just feels like, what the hell are you doing, guys? It just it just feels, uh, and you know, by all accounts, the the idea behind this this sort of search search for God uh, idea was one that was hanging around for for uh, for years, and and it was sort of one that they you know there've been various different sort of script iterations of it and they were trying to get it to work and i just think it 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 has the smell of one of those sort of quote unquote high concept ideas 
that that some that various people associated with it, whether it's uh, William Shatner or Harv Bennett, love the idea, but just and but they just should have let it go because it just wasn't really working, and it never ever really works. The stuff that works in this is the kind of is the crew stuff. You know, the stuff in Yosemite is fun, but once you get into the whole cyborg stuff, and you know, and everything up into the you know what what does God need with a starship, is is kind of bollocks. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Am I, am I missing some highlights in the middle there? You, you, mean, you, you, you mean the rip-off cantina bit with the uh, the cat creature with three breasts wasn't great? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that cat woman didn't have three uh, three breasts, unfortunately. I'm afraid you, you, you've misremembered that one. You just seemed to have a bored expression on her face. <laughs> well, I, I, I rewatched it recently, and, and I, I thought she did as well. Oh, right. uh, I mean, not in a completely... Uh, God, this, 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 this is one of those conversations where it just sounds really bad. I was gonna, in, not in a totally topless fashion like in Robocop, where we have the uh, three-breasted mutant. No, uh, total, recall. total recall. recall. Sorry, yes, total recall. Errors and omissions. Errors right. and omissions, yeah. Uh, oh, God. Uh, but, yeah, but it's it's... It's it's not God. I mean, <laughs> where's Mike Tack when you need him? He'd totally be perving over the cat girl. <laughs> it's. I mean, you know, Cybok could be an interesting character, and I don't think he's badly played. And the idea that that suddenly Spock has a brother. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> um, I like one thing's for sure, Spock. You never cease to amaze me. And he goes, or I myself. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's like I didn't realize I had one either, but no. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it's it could be an interesting thing. This idea of this sort of like, like uh, you know, Vulcan that's turned from the sort of pure path of logic. And and the whole cult thing, you know, where he's sort of sharing people's pain, and then suddenly they, they they're sort of brainwashing them. You know, that could make for an interesting villain. But then ultimately, what he wants to do isn't that compelling, you know. And he just comes across as a bit of a he's he's, he's sort of slightly sidelined in his own, you know, in the climax of the film. So it all feels a bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you also got like a waste of the Klingons because yeah. they're, they're kind of a threat, but, you know, they don't really amount to anything. And also this uh, great barrier at the centre of the universe, the whole idea of these ships had gone there and never come back. And yet they go through quite easily and there's nothing. There's no danger. There's There's no sort of graveyard. There's no spaceship graveyard or anything. And yet when they meet this godlike creature, uh, he doesn't even know what a starship is. So it just asks you, you, you wonder where on earth did all these other starships go? Mm. You know, yeah. it's Rob. It, well, can I, I just want to say, cause that, um, ice pirates, ice yeah. pirates, had a similar, ice pirates had a similar thing where, uh, they had to go in, in an exact, route to uh to to get to earth and if you didn't you would be lost forever 
and there, there was that would have been like a, a a good idea to have in there because you wouldn't need any kind of special effects or anything you know you just need a character to say i know the way through the barrier uh, but the, there was nothing they just flew through it and this great threat was just nothing it was <laughs> You sort of wonder if it was maybe almost just mythology that this, this you know, having the idea of a great barrier is enough. You know, you have a light show and you, you have this sort of rumour of ships disappearing, like the Bermuda Triangle, where ships disappear and they don't come back. Where, where's the proof of that? Show, show, show me the ships that have disappeared, as it were. Show me the records of the ships that disappeared and didn't come back. You know, there could be a, all, all other kind of explanations for that. I would have thought that Starfleet would have sent like a an expedition to see what was on the other side. Okay, maybe, of, maybe it was Vija. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Well, I, I, I mean, you know, I think you can always come up with sort of you know a bit of head cannon to sort of make it make sense. You know, like just uh, you know, I, I you know, the, the, when they did send it, it was like the previous generation of ships where the shielding wasn't up to going through the barrier. You know, that they basically tried going through, were massively damaged, and then were forced back. Maybe. Or or they were vaporised, you know. I mean, the the idea of this planet is supposed to be a prison for this creature. And that yeah. barrier would be a way of keeping ships away from it. But yet it doesn't do anything. Well, I thought the the, the main idea of the barrier is to keep it in. Uh, you know, it, it has a dual purpose, but... Mm. Yeah, well, you know, to be honest, Simon, uh, when you start... When, when you, when you start examining the, the logic's flaws in Final Frontier, we could be here for for, for three more hours because, uh, you know, the, the joy and the joy, such as it is in Final Frontier, is not in the story, no, is it? No, it's definitely not in the story. No, it's just sort of between the interactions. Indeed. Well, should, should, should we talk about six then? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> The conversation <laughs> gradually fades down to nothing. Disappears the way ships disappear through the barrier reef. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I mean, I mean, obviously, six. Um, Harve Bennett was not involved in six. Uh, I don't know whether that was something to do with five. Perhaps I, I'm not sure. But we do get Nicholas Mayer back in, you know, in the director's position. Um, and I really, I have to say, I really like six. I, I think this is a fucking mm. excellent film. <laughs> I, I, I love Six. Um, I mean, the fact that we get a, uh, a whodunit in space. Yeah, so absolutely. Ag again, so we get this different type of story. Well, it's a whodunit. It's a political thriller as well, of course. You That's know, you've right. Got the, you've Very got much. That, yeah, which makes which gives it a little bit more of an interesting tension. I mean, you know, back, back in the original bits of Star... The original series of Star Trek, you had the sort of cold war analogies and again you know bumping it forward to star trek six that that sort of is 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 reflected in the whole sort of era of glasnost as it were and the mm. tensions or not that come with that and so this film was made after the fall of the berlin war when, yeah that's right know, so this is what the whole idea that of them scrapping the neutral zone and you know coming to an agreement with the the klingons not to be at war anymore uh, and also, of course, opening the way to next generation. Mm. Yes, very much. Yeah. Mm. Um, no, I, I, I think uh, you, you know. Again, you know, in keeping with themes set up from Star Trek Two, you know, you've got the the 
time has moved on and these guys are about to retire. You know, the Enterprise is going to be decommissioned. These guys, you know, Sulu's already moved on to get his own command, which was great to see that happen and see, you know, that character development. Well, he always had an eye for the Excelsior. He did. He did. Mm. And, and um, but, but, you know, uh, we, we get back to Kirk's prejudice about the Klingons because of killing his son In and three. stuff like that. Yep. And, uh, you, you know, we, it's also dealing with, and I think he says it about, you know, people being frightened of change and, and you know, that particular generation was going to have the, the most problem with that because they had been, you know, enemies and at war with the Klingons and all this sort of thing. Uh, but, the, you know, the other really smart move with this film, apart from, you know, the whole whodunit thing and the, uh, you know, the Cold War in space and all, all that sort of stuff was, was the fact that... Um, they they got the original cast and they surrounded them by it with an absolute stellar, um, you know, sub, uh, guest cast mm. on this film. I mean, mm. y- y- you know, everyone from you know David Warner to Christopher Plummer, Kurt I mean, Wood Smith, Kurtwood Smith, absolutely. I mean, they're just Brock Peters. You know, that they're, they're all in there, and mm. uh, it, it, you know, it, it's just uh, it's quality, and it, it really does work as a. a I think a companion piece to the the other the other three films, and also you know is a beautiful end to um to to this crew and and handing the baton to the next gen. Well, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, uh, talking about continuity, that the uh, ambassadors are still played by the same actors that we saw in four. Absolutely, which is great. Mm. Yes, mm. yes. No, that, that you know, it's 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 really nicely made this film i think and i do like the sort of darker you know music and darker look to the film and you know some of those those subtle changes that they made um but it but it you know but still in keeping with with everything else as well and and again as as you said simon with the even numbered films this is yet another story where all of your principal characters have their moment yeah. in this, you know, right from Sulu being captain of the Excelsior, you know, you know right the way through to, um, uh, you know, Ahura um, having stuff to do in this film as well. So it, it's really good. The moment when they 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 go to um, <laughs> rescue the captor from uh, Aurora Pente, and that she has to uh, talk in uh, <laughs> Klingon to. <laughs> to that listening post and of course her, her Klingon is terrible <laughs> yes <laughs> which is kind of weird because um, in the reboot she's great yeah <laughs> well yes this is, this is something that they've um, all the sort of linguistic uh, characters from that point seem to know Klingon really well from that point on I mean even in Enterprise oh yeah you've got the you've got the li- the linguist that's specifically very good at Klingon in, yeah. in that yeah hmm. Hoshi, yeah. Hoshi, mm. love Enterprise, but anyway, that's a whole nother podcast. But yeah, um, but but no, uh, y- you know, it's it, it's it's really really nicely made as well. I mean, the visual effects in this are superb. Uh, I think this was the first one that they did more of a blending of, um, you know, obviously there's traditional model work, but I think they did some. Some CG, I think I read somewhere. Well, well you've got a shape, you got a shape changer, right? So you've yeah. got morphing. Yeah, and also this is the first time they used that sort of ripple wave effect 
for an explosion in space, which then they went on to add to the Star Wars special edition. Oh, that's true. Yes. It's yeah. Oh, well, they're sort of blowing up, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the sort of flap, the, the yeah. frisbee thing. Yeah. yeah which boo. makes. Boo. Oh, yeah. Absolute boo. Because <laughs> in this film, makes total sense. In yeah. Star Wars, makes no fucking sense at all. No, I, I, I agree. And uh, sorry, it's, that's my only bugbear with the film is the fact that it gave us this energy wave that you know <laughs> then went on and was copied in all these other sci-fi films. So every time you had an explosion, you had to have this energy wave. Yeah. Yeah. And let's face it, it's a hell of a way to start the film anyway, isn't it? I mean, you know. Don't get me wrong. It works really well in this film. It makes It's there for a reason. I'm just saying that in other films that copied it, it's there for no reason. Oh, yeah, sure. No, it's more of just a look from then on in, really, isn't it? Yeah. Clive, <laughs> you've been fairly quiet again. Anything about this one? I I I I have a couple of observations. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, I I do really enjoy this one, and it and it is a nice rounding off for those characters. Well, you know, obviously we get some returns in uh, in generations, but uh, you know, it it does. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, Nicholas Meyer is is a is a very good director, and you know, does good script work here. I, I like. I, I mean, the dramatic stakes are just great, aren't they? Throughout, you know, it's that sort of just when you think things can't get any any worse for for Kirk and company, then you know they're getting condemned to death. Oh no, it's even worse than that. Now they're in this hell prison hellhole, uh, and there's no possible way they they can get rescued. And uh, you know, in the meantime, you know, the, the Enterprise is miles away. And, it, and it's it's just very good in doubling down on on sort of making life hard for, uh, especially for for Kirk and and Bones, you know, as as they're, you know, cast down into this uh, hellhole planet, you know. Um, so I I think all of that works really really well. And I, I quite like this the sort of nice. It, it's weird. It feels slightly unvulcan like, but they're nice, almost like flirtatious. Uh, a, a sort of pupil-teacher relationship between Kim Cattrall and uh, and Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, uh, uh, Lieutenant Valaris. 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 Yeah, yeah. Who the sort of Holmes and Watson, aren't they, of the uh, uh, of the sort of murder uh, yes. murder mystery part? But yeah. at the same, but that they then you know, spoilers. Uh, we find out she's actually uh, part of the problem, not part of the solution, don't we? Mm. Uh, but yeah, and and my my other uh, sort of observation of having rewatched this very recently is just, and this is this is just a silly little thing, but when uh, when when we when we first uh, meet uh, George Takai uh, as Sulu on on the Excelsior and he's having his cup of tea, and is it just me or did he get like a really crappy mission? Because he's like, I'm just yeah. coming back from that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I've just kind of just spent was it three years or two years like uh, like sort of cataloging gaseous uh, gaseous anomalies, and it's and, and you know, sure, you know, this is the guy who's been out with Captain Kirk exploring strange new worlds and new civilizations, and you got and it's not like it's a science vessel. This is like a full on starship, and he's like, great, I've got like the most advanced ship in the fleet. I'm a captain now. 
what have, what have I got to do, guys? Okay, I want you to go out and catalogue gaseous anomalies. <laughs> what? You what? You, you, what, uh, what? What? Did one of the apples fart? What, what does that mean? For three years? Yeah. It always strikes me that is, man, uh, you know, no wonder he looks happy to be going home. My God, that's, that sounds, that's some dry ass, you know, uh, spacefaring right there. I'm glad, I'm glad we didn't get, you know, Star Trek 5.5, the the, the the gaseous anomaly <laughs> years, you know. Well, but um, as you say that, though... I bet there's fan fiction for that. <laughs> you say that, the Enterprise also had similar equipment because they uh, make that um, uh, photon torpedo to lock onto their, the, the Bird of Prey's uh, exhaust port. So they have this all this equipment as well. So obviously they may have been on that mission too. <laughs> uh, the gas, Star Trek, the gaseous years. I like it. Um, but, and apparently that's, uh, well, it, as we see in Voyager much later, that cup of tea was actually made for him by Tuvok, which is uh, oh, yeah, uh, quite, quite, a, quite a cool link. But the, the, this was another one of those films that... Um, uh, much like Trek 2, which which had, um, you know, ratings issues for violence. Um, uh, one of the reasons that the you, in this film you sort of see the Klingon blood close up and it's actually this kind of lavender colour, um, I suppose you could call it. Um, I would and, call and, it purple. Oh, yeah, purple. Yeah, yeah. But it's that because um, originally it was red. Because to be honest, as a sort of continuity thing, if you've ever seen the Klingons bleed previously, they had sort of had sort of bled red, you know. But they had to tone it down because of uh, because of the, uh, the 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 perceived gore, if you like, particularly on the bit where. Um, uh, you know, McCoy is is trying to um, bring Chancellor Gorkon back to life. You know, um, and you do see quite a bit of blood um, in that in that scene. And uh, you know, it's quite interesting. The Nick Meyer ones are always the ones that are slightly uh, slightly darker and more violent mm. <laughs> uh, mm. than Trek normally is. <laughs> it's funny though how the uh, rating system doesn't have any problems with arms being chopped off. <laughs> yes that's true mm. <laughs> because when the klingons loses his arm i'm sure they had no problem with that i mean it's like the cantina scene in star wars i mean obi-wan slices that creature's arm off and we see the severed arm on the on the floor with blood and it's still a you yeah which is odd because the lightsaber is supposed to cauterize wounds but there you go that's a whole nother geek story there but uh yeah you know it, it never it, it was never said that in the films that's just fan theory that it cauterized. well it was in empire strikes back obviously it cauterizes luke's wound but uh yeah but anyway that's a whole yeah. other thing yeah, true um but also interestingly this was the first of the films when released on home video um to receive a director's cut treatment because when this was released and I remember thinking, what the hell? Um, I bought, there was a Star Trek set that was essentially one through six uh, that came out on again, VHS tape widescreen editions. Um, and it kind of made up a picture of the, the enterprise along, along the spines and Star Trek six um, actually had some additional content. It had this, uh, small subplot with the um, 
uh, one of one of the there, there was like a council uh, which you see some of, you know, with the president and whatever. Mm. But the the whole thing about the the the, the Klingon assassin um, isn't actually a Klingon. It turns out that that's a uh, human who's put on a Klingon disguise to yes. try and get the Klingons blamed. And again, totally unnecessary for the story, but it's... But you know who plays that? That's... It's the guy who played Odo. No, that's in, right. Um... It's uh, Rene Oberjonas. Yes. I think I pronounced that. played Odo in like that. Space oh, Nine. There we yeah. go. Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, it's kind of interesting because I remember, you know, that was the first... They've obviously done some stuff with um, uh, the motion picture and... Uh, uh, rough of Khan since but um you, you know it was interesting that uh you know this had some extra footage in and and again it didn't really make any any difference or add anything to the the story as such but it, it was interesting that it was about i think in total about six or seven minutes longer um with these additional scenes i think that's the version i saw on video because um um, I remember when I was watching this this morning, um, I was like, oh, where's the scene where they take his face off? And it, you can see it's, uh, you know, Odo underneath. Yeah. And it wasn't there. I was like, oh, OK. That was the theatrical cut then that you got. I know it's actually the Blu-ray um, editions are all the theatrical ones because yeah. the, the motion picture, interestingly, um, in 2001, when Robert Weiss was was still around, um, because of the, if you like, the success of the, in inverted commas, special editions of the Star Wars films, mm. um, they did actually go back and uh, and and do some sort of similar CG enhancement on and re-editing of the motion picture to try and make uh, the bit where Kirk lands in San Francisco, for example, try and broaden it out and make the Federation landscape look bigger and add more ships and shuttles and stuff like that. And also to give you more of a sense of the shape of, of Vija and um, they corrected some of the stuff with, with Spock on Vulcan and whatever. And um, that's did, not did they add any, any of the TV version stuff in, you know, the more character moments? Uh, they, Can they you did. remember? There, there were a few, not all of them. It was kind of a hybrid, but yes, they did. I, I don't know if I'm correct or not, but I think the director's cut was actually shorter than the theatrical cut. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure of that. I thought it was actually a few minutes longer, but... Uh, well, I, I mean, it's been a while, but I, I do remember when that was announced and stuff and seeing the runtime was actually made it a bit short. They made the sort of the voyage over uh, Vija shorter. Right. I, I mean, there are that. three versions. You've got yeah. the theatrical version, the director's edition is what they called the, the, the one with the new CG enhancement and stuff. And then of course you've got the TV version, mm. which is the longest version. Um, but interestingly on the Blu-ray edition, it is just, the um the theatrical version that's on there although it does look great because it's obviously remastered but mm. um and then of course you know much further on to, to coincide with the 40th anniversary so back in 2006 because in enterprise they they uh they had a, a mirror universe episode where um the defiant from the tholian web episode of the original series uh, had actually come back in time and moved into the mirror universe. Um, they, they, they'd obviously done a CG version of the of the classic looking ship for that, and then they used that model to sort of go back and remaster 
all of the original series with 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 new visual effects so um it, it's quite interesting how uh <laughs> you, you know they 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 keep sort of polishing these these for future generations <laughs> was there, i have to say um none of the films have kind of touched upon the um the sort of uh, the parallel universe the sort of the darker universe even though the tv series have like uh enterprise and deep space nine and those episodes are always great i mean i they're awesome i i wanted to bring this up when we were talking about first contact but i i love that enterprise episode where they go into the parallel universe and you see first contact from their point of view yeah oh it's brilliant and i thought that was really well done that is two hours of absolute amazing entertainment for what anybody says about enterprise i mean i i sadly think the, the, the final season of Enterprise, they brought Manny Koto on as a showrunner, and um, he he was a big Star Trek fan, and he, he started to try and incorporate elements from the original series into it. And, uh, the, you know, again, whole other podcast, but there's a load of good <laughs> stuff. But, but absolutely, the, the two-part episode, which is called In a Mirror Darkly, um, is, is absolute just a piece of... of cinema uh, well not cinema but home cinema joy uh it really is and i yeah if you guys haven't seen that um i highly recommend it it's really good and i i can probably loan it to you because i know i have that on um on home video (laughs) (laughs) excellent might take you up on that yeah yeah it's really good would 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 you guys want to have seen like a mirror universe film i i i think in 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 the context of the the Star Trek movie universe, it probably could would have been a little bit too confusing, really. Um, especially especially when you're talking sort of one to six, that you there, there was just so much else that they that that they did that there was no real need to sort of go into this this slightly esoteric version of everything. I mean, it's a it's a great idea, but I think that's something that that's just explored better in the TV show. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of those alternate reality and mirror universes and parallel realities and all that stuff. And uh, mm. um, they, yeah, they've done some great ones. And it would have been good to see each of the shows because obviously the original series had it, the um, Deep Space Nine had it, and obviously Enterprise had it. But Voyager and Next Gen kind of missed out on that, and it's a shame because it would have been quite cool to have seen their their evil counterparts you know mm, definitely <laughs> but saying that we did kind of see uh picard slightly bonkers and evil in uh, first contact oh, oh yeah a line must be drawn yeah yeah indeed yes so um but any any more thoughts on um star trek six uh, well, I, I have a thought on the mirror universe before you move off. Oh, okay, that's yep. okay. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I mean, uh, obviously, having listened to you guys talk about the Kelvinverse films uh, in in that very fine podcast you did with Charles, uh, you know, and then talking about what's next, you know, and obviously the talk about bringing back um, Kirk's father. See, so I mean, my pitch for the next Star Trek film is that. They do that is that okay you can do you do the time travel thing but you do time travel and you incorporate the mirror universe so the villain in the next star trek film is kirk's father but the mirror universe version oh, oh i like it interesting yeah 
For a minute, I thought you were going to say that the Enterprise had gone off and become Vija or something, but no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I like that idea. That's that's that that could be fun. Yeah. Will it will it will it confuse the general audience? That's the question, I suppose. Not if you not know. if you give him a goatee beard. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Or mirror counterpart. Or 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 or, or 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 you know, or an eye patch. You know, the, the, <laughs> these them's the rules as we know. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was a, you, you know you think about it that 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 episode. Um, you know, I think was that in season one of the original series, the the Mirror Mirror episode. I think it season might have been. Two, but, I think. Oh, was it two? Yeah, okay, I'm not th- sure. I think. But but what 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 a fantastic episode that was. I mean, you, you know, that was so ahead of its time, and 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 like you, you were saying about proper science fiction theories. I mean, you you know, parallel universes. You can't get more of a you know, sci-fi theory than that. And um, it, it was, that was, that episode was just a hoot, wasn't it? It was really good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, and very, you know, uh, very influential, you know, it's, you know, not just in other Star Trek things, but in, but, you know, going through to things like Doctor Who, uh, where, they, where they've done, where they've done, where they, was it, uh, is it Inferno? I'm thinking of the uh, John Pertwee story where, where you get the mirror universe uh, brigadier. Oh yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. Uh, so yeah, and going through to things like Fringe, right, where they, that, this becomes a very important part of the latest. Mm. Oh, big time! Yeah. Yes. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fringe. Um, Fringe deals with that in a big way, and uh, of course they're doing the whole multiverse thing now as well with all the, uh, you know, the DC. Uh, shows that, that that are on, you know, Flash and the Flash and you know all that stuff. But uh, yeah, no, it's it, it it is an interesting concept indeed. Um, mm. But uh, any, any sorry, Clive, did you say you had a, some, something more to say about six as well? No, not uh, not, oh, I'm not sorry, really. Uh, well, no, I mean uh, only only just that thing of uh, uh, whilst it is clearly you know this is the sort of the post cold war thing and and it and it's obviously about that i i think when you you know watching it now it doesn't feel like oh this is a super dated film it, it just feels because because it is about that you know it, it does feel a nice ending to that kind of thing about you know coming to terms with with aging uh, coming to terms with, with with the world changing and you not being ready for that change mm-hmm. you know th- 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 there's a really lovely scene in it where where, where uh, Kirk and Bones, it's like their I think it's their it's their first night in Rorapente, and Kirk uh, is you know not sleeping, and 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 he sort of turns and he sort of says to Bones, he says uh, something to the effect of, uh, you know that that he realizes now, you know that he was afraid, you know he, he, he was afraid uh, of, of the change, you know he got so used to hating Klingons. And that being the natural way of things, that that he never even thought to listen to uh, Chancellor Gorkin, the, uh, um, uh, the the you know the assassinated character played by David Warner, um, you know he didn't even think of it, and and now he, he's sort of seeing, and 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 that's kind of the the whole thing of the film in kind of microcosm, this idea of, you know, this sort of hopeful idea that again. And this is what I like about Six, I think, is I think it's a really, it's like maybe the best marriage of that sort of super militaristic thing that Nick 
uh, Maya brought to you know the franchise in uh, in Wrath of Khan, together with that very uh, utopian Gene Roddenberry vision, right? You know this idea mm. that people people mm. can change. You know that in the future, you know that that we're not just going to go through the same patterns. That it, even though there are going to be people on on you know both sides who have you know access to grind who don't want to let go of of, of the hate. You know, there 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 are going to be enough people who you know do believe that there is uh, hope and a better way that 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 ultimately will come through. And also the fact that it does what the TV series always did best, which was a, a commentary on things that were going on at that time. Well, good science fiction's always been a reflection of the times in which it's it's written anyway. Mm. So, yeah. and, and and you know, Star Trek Six is a perfect example of that, really. Yeah, no, it's, it's a total allegory, and um, yeah, it, it does it does work really well. The other thing I absolutely love, and it and it does actually almost bring a tear to my eye as well, is is the the you know the very end where they ask about the course, and he, of course he says second star to the right and straight on till morning. Till morning, yeah, uh, yeah. No, that's amazing. And then and then of course his his final log entry, doing that beautiful sort of segue with him saying where no man, where no one has gone before, you know, which was obviously um, what they'd established in Star Trek The Next Generation. And, and uh, y- y- you know, I, I just I just sort of, yeah, I just felt really, remember seeing that at the cinema, I felt really sad because it was the end, but it was kind of, they had a happy ending. Um, yeah, and, and then they, they literally sign off at the end of the film, right? Mm-hmm. You know, with, with yeah, the quite literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, in, indeed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that is the last time that they are all together like that. I mean, obviously, you get three of them back in, in Generations, which we talked about on uh, on the previous podcast. But, um, you, you, you know, it, it's 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 yeah, it's never quite the same. And I, I, I do think that this was they definitely ended on a high with this one. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things I, you know, I wish Generations hadn't done was to bring Kirk back, to the truth. I think this was a, a, a perfect way to send off that crew, that cast, and it Generations kind of cheapens that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that as well. Um, I think that, you know, just, just having the ending that you had on 6 just perfect. Um, although, you know, it does give um, Shatner the chance to do a big death scene, which again is kind of a little bit squandered, I guess, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> could have been so um, much better. It could have been like George Kirk's uh, death scene, and and you know that that's how I always sort of imagined Kirk going out. But there you go, we never got mm. that. Now, Rob, uh, yeah. I don't know, I might be setting you up here, but uh, Clive had kind of warned me that you might have something controversial to say about Star Trek and and Star Wars and. I'm just curious as to what that is, or, or have I got the wrong end of the stick? Um, <laughs> no, not necessarily. I, I busted d- Clive I... totally. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Clive. <laughs> I, I did kind of have a, a sort of unified theory, but to be honest with you, most of what I was going to say has kind of been covered through 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 the auspices of, of you fine gentlemen anyway. Just just yeah. just the themes that are running through Star Trek that makes it so... Yeah, it gives it a much richer feel than than say the the sort of Star Wars universe. You know, the the whole sort of fairy tale versus the sort of deeper political sort of things that are going on in Star Trek and so on. Um, 
But yeah, I, 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 the reason that the films work for me is because they have this kind of unified feel. They're about change and they're about loss. They're about grief and they're about, you know, sort of trying to handle the way things change and the way they stay, stay the same all at the same time. And it, it's, you, you can tie those, those in so many different threads and in so many different ways through all six of the movies. They all have this, this kind of elements of change and loss going through them. And, and that, mm. that's kind of my, my, that, that, that's the notion that I got. And, and the way that I kind of look at these films, even now is in keying into those moments. That was, yeah, I mean, Oh, and that's fair enough. I mean, I mean, you, you know, I'm not going to obviously repeat what I said in the in the previous episodes, but you know, there's a whole discussion about the sort of differences between Star Wars and Star Trek. But I mean, you know, beyond what I said there, you also have to look at kind of the volumes. And what I mean by that is, if you take what is just canon and forget all the expanded stuff, yeah, with mm. Star Wars, you you've essentially got six films of around you know just over two hours each plus a few uh, animated series that, that sort of fill in the gaps that span a, 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 you know, a history in Star Wars of about, you know, 70 years or whatever it is, right? Whereas with the, with the Trek universe, I mean, e even before the reboot movies, you, you had 10 movies, you know, all of that length. You had five series, three of which ran for a full seven seasons of 26 episodes with feature length um pilots and finales yeah um mm. you know and an animated series you know all this stuff so so when, when you compare it as well as well as these all those obvious differences you, you, you know in terms of volume there's there's just so much more star trek stuff out there and of course you know star wars next summer will be um celebrating its 40th anniversary so uh and, and you know we've got more of that to come which which is quite exciting but um you know i'm glad that i'm glad that they are sort of pushing forward with 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 trek and you know as well as another movie um you know we are going to have this new television series and and i find that quite exciting because you know as as we've said you know we we've all grown up in that era you know even though mm. trek started before us we, we've all grown up knowing it's been there and, um, you, you know, having lots of material to, to, to pull from. So, uh, you, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm quite excited about this, about this time that, that we're living in and, and the fact that we've got these things to come still, you know, no, but, I, yeah. but I'll always have nostalgia for these films always, you know, for me, uh, much as I love the reboot films and I, and I really do, um, you know, th these, these, six movies really hold a special place in my heart they really do you know mm. and that's because they're, they're they're great movies they 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 really hold up and it just comes down to the characters and the storytelling and you know even though five is not great um it's still you know it, it's still a fun time and you know you you enjoy being in the company of these characters and you know and unfortunately after six even I, I don't think the films quite live up to it i mean first contact is the best generations uh film mm -hmm. who, that we sort of agreed in the other podcast yeah i think that's undeniable yeah uh <laughs> and then with the reboot um you know they, they're kind of doing their own thing with it and they're trying to recapture that you know relationships with 
you know, Kirk, Spock and McCoy, but it's still, it, it doesn't quite have those connections that these six films have. It doesn't have that history because these people have been working together for so a long time before they, you know, they did these films. So they knew their characters inside and out before, you know, s- stepping into the motion picture. Mm. I mean, Cl- Clive and Rob, obviously myself and, and Simon have already talked about this on a, on on. The, the first in the three podcasts that we did on Trek, but what what are your thoughts on on the reboots? How how do you guys feel about them? I like the way that they're they're taking bits and sort of design elements and thematic elements from the original series and then kind of running with them. Um, I would prefer that they kind of came up with their own ideas a little bit more. I, I guess that's, that's kind of a common thought, you know, that they don't try and remake wrath of Khan. That, um, <laughs> um, I'm a little bit bothered by the way that two out of the three movies have, have ended up with, with effectively Starfleet being the villain as well. That's, that's starting to feel a little bit old and tired to me as, as well. So, uh, but in, t- in, t- in, in terms of what they are, they're, they're, they're good thrill rides. They look amazing. They've, they're brilliantly cast. Um, so, so I think they've nailed the casting all the way up and down the line. Um, they're they're more than acceptable. They're 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 excellent pieces of um, movie making in their own right. And yeah, they're 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 carrying on the tradition really well. Clive, yeah, I mean, I I liked the fact that that you know. That they that they set up a, a separate timeline for these films. You know, this isn't trying to say this is replacing what you've what you've already had. It's saying you know it's it's its own thing. You know, it's just, it is an alternative timeline. So you know, so that made me feel better about them. And mm. you know, I, I I think you know technically they're they're very well put together films. Um, you know, I enjoyed the first one. Uh, you know, it took me, it took me a few watches before I really kind of got used to some of the different people playing with them. Not that I necessarily felt they were miscast, but just because the other, just because, well, hey, you know, you've got iconic people and crew members, right, from the original cast, and now you're suddenly saying, oh, now this person's Kirk, now this person's Spock, now this person is Uhura. And it's like, yeah, you know, whilst they might be saying, might be, whilst we might know that's who they're supposed to be, you know, there's still like a kind of emotional memory as I watch it as a as a as a fan, where I'm just going, no, it's not, you know, mm-hmm. no, yeah, no, no I no, understand, no, no. yeah, and you know, I think Zachary Quinto probably has the hardest job because you've actually got the real Spock, right? You know, Spock mm. Prime, <laughs> you know, so it's like. So it's like it's like just as you're getting used to thinking, okay, this is now the Spock in this version. You actually get real Spock, and it's like, oh no, he's not. He's just some you know pretender. Um, but you know, uh, and then the second film. But what was great about that film was you know it sort of cleared the decks. You know, it, it had that really powerful opening scene. Um, you know, and, and yeah, I, I like the stuff between Kirk and Bones. I think that's already good. And then at the end, it's like anything's possible. And then, which is what made it so disappointing when the second one just turned out to be a riff on uh, Rafa mm. Khan. 
it's funny how that's the consensus i mean yeah it's interesting that we all think that and we're all you know we all grew up in in the same you know era of star trek which is which is funny the other thing that, that kind of i find interesting is we, we've obviously talked about trek and in dealing with age and whatever um in the new timeline everything is happening to these characters much younger you know, it's happening when they're because you you know still e- even in the in the third series, uh, a th- third movie of the series. Sorry, um, this is still earlier in the time in 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 the year, obviously of a different timeline, but earlier than the events of the original series. So they are actually young still younger versions of those characters, and it's quite interesting because particularly we're getting the Enterprise A. <laughs> at the end of um at the, at the third film you, you know that's happened like 25 years early <laughs> mm. so it's it's interesting yeah i mean as, as i said they 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 seem to be following the formula of the original films where they they they, they seem to take an element from uh, those films and put it in so like the first one's a threat against the earth the second one's Khan, the third one the enterprise is destroyed and so probably for the fourth one, we're going to get time travel. Mm. As much mm. as I would love to see some humpback whales. <laughs> I'll bet you would. <laughs> but, mm. um, yeah, I mean, it, they're, they're great films and they're, they're there. And the nice thing about the reboot was that they didn't say none of that never happened. They said you have your original timeline, the prime timeline, and you've got this new one, the Kelvin timeline. So you can have both, you know, the, the other, it's, it, they could have quite easily gone, no, fuck you, we're doing it all over again and the old stuff doesn't count. Well, you just had that lovely little moment in um, in Beyond where uh, where uh, Kelvin Spock looks at the picture of the, of the original crew and that, that was just a nice little moment. Oh, it, it was a really good moment. Yeah. Yeah, but, but Beyond did a lot to repair the damage that into darkness did yeah definitely well i think that's a good place to finish it okay <laughs> we made it we made wow. it does it feel like a five-year mission that one doesn't it <laughs> yeah uh, well n- now all we need is a campfire and one of those really cool gadgets that that uh, spock has that just manages to generate exactly the right shaped uh, marshmallows for toasting right <laughs> <laughs> We should sing one of the classics. <laughs> oh. I'm well versed in the classics. Oh, tell me we're not doing this. <laughs> Come on, let's give oh. it a go. If it doesn't work, I can always edit it out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll start. Keith, you go next, and um, Rob, and then Clive. Okay. Are you ready for All this? Right. Go okay. for it. Row, row, row your boat. Gently row, down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. Spark is a classic. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm, what is it? I'm attempting to, to cipher the lyrics or whatever. <laughs> 
the meaning. Yeah, it doesn't matter about the meaning, you green <laughs> Vulcan. <laughs> but, Captain, life is not a dream. <laughs> go, go to sleep. Go to sleep, Spark. <laughs> Good night, Jim. <laughs> Good night, Bones. Good night, Spark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, see, it's classic. Trek 5 is classic. There you go, see. <laughs> Yeah, I was right all along. Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> yes. Oh. So, um, guys, um, how can we listen to your podcast? Okay, the A to Z of You mean your ancestors' podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> nice no, in the future. Your, yeah. your, your great, 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 great grandfather's podcast, right? <laughs> great, 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 great. Great grandsons podcast. Yes, absolutely. Wrong way. Oh dear. Time travel. (laughs) Oh, timey wimey stuff. Um, (laughs) You can listen to the A to Z of SFF on um, on iTunes um, and through the website, the A to Z of SFF dot com. Yep. Each each week, uh, we we tackle a a different. piece of media from uh, science fiction and fantasy whether that's film or tv or books or short stories uh, comics. comics um yeah uh, animation uh, all, all kinds of weird and wonderful stuff and uh you know uh, in, in season two we, we travel all over the universe doing all kinds of stuff so it's uh yeah uh, give it a go it, I promise you it's a lot shorter than this podcast <laughs> <laughs> actually they are indeed bite sized podcasts aren't they yes, yes. 20, 20 minutes 30 minutes that's know, the general idea yeah, yeah yeah, with a so bit of drama yeah a little <laughs> something you can fit into a commute quite easily indeed brilliant indeed and, and, and what else are you guys up to anything else that uh, you want to you want to plug while you're on the podcast any films or anything um well, just... rob, rob, rob i believe you have some uh, you have some uh, some fine novels that people can buy i do yes as a contributing editor to um verse publishing which is a small um uh, genre publishing concern i have two novels um available for full purchase uh, at reasonable rates um one's a horror one called satan schoolgirls the other one is the first part in a young adult science fiction trilogy called pirates of the moon um both of which are significantly worth your time brilliant they're absolutely worth your time um if 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 you're at all interested and indeed still listening um uh uh, you can check out my work as a filmmaker by going to Vimeo and putting in Clive Ashenden. And, uh, yeah, you'll get to see some of the more recent stuff I've been doing. Uh, we've got some things in the pipeline, but, uh, yeah. Uh, 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 otherwise, you know, it's all looking to the future, much like this podcast. So, Indeed. Uh, yeah, Indeed. I suggest to say uh, thanks very much for, for uh, having us on here, guys. Really appreciate it and really uh, enjoyed uh, talking Trek. No, you. no, you're you're very welcome. We were, it was a pleasure to have you on board. Excellent, yeah, uh, from me as well. Thank you for having us, and uh, do 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 whatever Trek salute comes to mind. Live long and prosper. Live there long and go. prosper. That's the one. That's it. Yeah. As always, you can uh, find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and all good podcast providers. And uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And please leave us a rating and review 
on iTunes and Stitcher. It really helps. Uh, we've had, well, we've had one more <laughs> rating <laughs> on iTunes. We could do with some more. I think we could get into double digits. Yeah, that- come, on, come on, guys. Give them some five-star ratings. I mean, you know, uh, these guys put a lot of work in and, you know, and, and put out a lot of, uh, of content. And unlike a lot of uh, other podcasts you might be listening to, they don't have sponsors and they don't come on here begging you to uh, contribute to Patreon things. So, you know, help them out. Yeah. Oh, thank, thank you, Clive. Thank um, you. This is all good. I think, though, we probably lost everyone at Row, Row, Row Your Boat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you mean? Because they keep going back and listening to it again because it was so good. Oh, of course. Oh, God, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, Maybe we should just loop that for three hours. <laughs> it, has it been three hours? It has been it's three been hours. hours. Hasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Six um, movies, 12 years, three hours. There you go. <laughs> well, that finishes our Star Trek coverage. I mean, of the movies, at of, least. Of yeah. the movies. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I've got it in me to do the, all the TV <laughs> series, tell the truth. That's a that's a lot more podcasts. Well, we're movie heaven, movie hell, so that's we'll, it, yeah. we'll stick to the movies. Yes, but uh, we, we wish our <laughs> listeners a happy 50th anniversary of Trek. And uh, uh, join us again next week where we go back to our normal programming where we... Uh, we pick our director for D. Oh, crap. Yes, I've got to go and watch some movies that I don't know <laughs> back to front. Yeah. Damn it. I've got a day job. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, as, a, as we sign off, live long and prosper. Make it so. <laughs> Engage. Insert triple noise here. <laughs> <laughs>
worse than that. He's dead, Jim. Dead, Jim. Dead. Well, it's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Not as we know it. Not as we know it. It's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Not as we know it, Captain. Yeah, it's like I'm on the starboard bow. Prince to engine room. 